0: Happy Friday to you on the Fan Midday Show. Get your weekend started right. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison with us as well. Final Friday of the non-football Calendar year? Who am I kidding? It's always a football Friday, regardless of what time of year you're at. But you get my point. James knows it. Eddie knows it. Well, it is technically a
1: football Friday. It is yes. true. This is very true. You're wearing the proper attire. I so. am.
0: I am indeed. It is. It is. <laughs> it is a U.S. Women's National Team Friday. uh we'll, we'll save that for the bets at the end of the show. But this is it. The long wait. The area, as I like to call it, whether you're a fan of the NFL or you are a fan football player. Either way. It is now the time where, again, nobody cares about it, but there's less shame of if you're doing a mock draft right now for fantasy football. You're finally in that area where you're no longer a complete loon, even though there's still, you know, a month and change before the season actually gets started.
1: You know what? I think we're all kind of crazy when it comes to that stuff because even I put out like a 53 man roster projection like two weeks ago, yep. and everyone was screaming and arguing over it. Sure. And I was like, wow, it's almost here. The chaos, the enjoyment of. Just making guesses, making suggestions, having takes, being wrong, being right, but all of that I think creates a lot of good conversation around the NFL, around the league.
0: Any truth to the rumors? You're working on a piece about how Zach Moss is going to be a running back one this year. Is that is that accurate? It don't, I don't <laughs> is not accurate. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure. I don't want to make sure I did miss you. False
1: reporting by <laughs> Jimmy Cook trying to get me in trouble with the Colts fan base. Look, I'm already. I'm finally back in the good graces with Anthony Richardson. You know, I can say, hey, you're my you're my hoop buddy now. Sure. But now you're trying to go, make me go out there and get beat up by Jonathan Taylor. And I don't think that he is, you know, as nice as he is, I don't think I want to feel, you know, his fist in my rib cage or anything like that. But jokes aside, I am excited to see all the guys out there and to honestly see who's healthy. I think that's the biggest thing. Obviously, the easiest thing to notice when you start training camp is, okay, all the guys who are kind of dealing with some injuries, mm-hmm. who's available that first day to kind of just check them off the list and breathe that sigh of relief.
0: It's a weird aside but I meant to ask you this earlier in the week and didn't have the opportunity to. We had Anthony Richardson and YMCA Gate, if you will. I'm, I'm just being dramatic <laughs> with, with, him, with him hooping and, and you being there and then Last week, I think it was some footage of C.J. Stroud hooping it up as well. So the rookies in this quarterback class getting the the last bits of their basketball lives, I guess, out of their system
1: before uh, the training camp and the and the real deal starts. Look, they've been asking for Pro Bowl suggestions for years. <laughs> C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, one on one, Pro yep. Bowl weekend. Yep. I'm sure. For all the marbles. I'm
0: sure every owner at GM is is very excited about that. Not at all having a
1: a sense in their heartbeat. They're all collectively booing me right now. (laughs) Like, get this guy off the air. He's horrible, but no. I'm excited though. I think that obviously Anthony Richardson is the draw for all of this, but there's so many other moving parts when it comes to the tight end position battle. Is there going to be a certain cornerback that emerges because of what's going on in that room? And then obviously the wide receiver room Will we see Alec Pierce take a step forward and be more of just a Then just a deep threat so all of those things, I think, are big factors for this season. But it starts with number 5.
0: There's a couple areas that we're going to jump around to today. We're going to have a little bit of NBA coverage in the early goings of the show. It's going to be at the bottom of this hour. John Krasinski is going to take some time with us, covers the NBA and the Minnesota Timberwolves for The Athletic. Then we'll talk to Joe Rexrode, who covers the Titans at the top of the 1 o'clock hour. We'll get the fallout with a... A handful of days removed from the DeAndre Hopkins signing being finalized and what that means to the Titans, both from where they are within the division if they feel like they're closer from the Colts and the Texans to the Jaguars as training camp arrives closely for them. And then Pat Leonard, who covers the Giants and New York sports at large, the New York Daily News, will take the Giants angle in all this. We had the Raiders angle yesterday with Josh Jacobs and his lack of extension with the tag now in place for him. Same thing with Saquon Barkley, and we heard his comments yesterday with hypothetical cards that he may or may not have or thinks he has within his bag. What that means in New York, how the Giants are feeling and all that, both from a fan standpoint and ownership And then how it ties to the Colts, which brings us back to that larger conversation. And plus, we'll have James's thoughts on camp and what he's going to be tracking the most biggest storylines, biggest position battles. This is the last day that we'll have James in here, at least until camp is completed. But we start first with that conversation that we had yesterday on Jonathan Taylor and his contract situation. And then another angle that we saw of other players that are up for potential extensions. And we discussed this a little bit yesterday, James, but... For another offensive weapon that maybe is equally as important or could be as important to Anthony Richardson development in Michael Pittman Jr., he's kind of in the same boat in that he's also up for an extension and he also could potentially be seen with the tag. But Jonathan Taylor's in that same battle as well. And another angle we discussed with Eddie a little bit in the back end of the show yesterday, and then we went off the air, was Michael Pittman Jr.'s nonchalantness and indifference on, you know, if it happens, it happens on an extension, you know, I'm ready to play, but it's it is what it is. My agent's gonna take care of that if need be. And half of that battle is, as you and I and Eddie discussed yesterday, is that if they were to not tag him, if they're not tag Taylor and they were to tag Pittman Jr. instead in that world, he's basically getting twenty million, it's like nineteen, but basically twenty million, which is about what we think market value would be for him or what a fair asking price would be for Michael Pittman Jr. next year. But if they decide to tag Taylor instead and you would think they're not going to let somebody of Pittman Jr.'s caliber, whether you think he's a wide receiver, one or two is up for debate. But a helpful weapon or not, they're going to want to retain him. He has more leverage if he hits the open market because then you can have teams bring out the real monopoly money like they do for wide receivers. So it's really a balancing act here with the Colts of how they want to approach and attack negotiations, even though this is something they won't really have to face until 2024.
1: I agree. And I think for Pittman and Eddie pointed this out yesterday, at least off air when we were texting, he's in like a win win situation. yeah. Because the tag is so much higher for him, obviously. When if he gets tagged it's not, Oh, here is this crumbs of money that we don't want to give you. No, his tag will be in the twenty million dollar range um you know depending on what it jumps to next year but that's probably what his average would be anyway if he were to get a multi-year deal so again he's in a great situation i think as far as finances and again you can make the debate is he wide receiver one should be paid like one the bottom line is if you're like a top what is he top 25 30 receiver you're gonna get paid so that's a plus right there it's just the position you're you're in. And so with JT, the difference is obviously being a running back and no matter how elite you are, there's this ceiling on what you can make and they're not going to break that ceiling for it looks like anybody so far. And we've been saying it over and over again and it's not a lie or um it's not dishonest, it's a fact. Jonathan Taylor is the best player on the Colts when he's healthy. Right. He's their best player and I don't think it's really debatable. Like, Does it mean, a, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean I think change. it is kind of debatable. Alright, go ahead. Who is their best player?
2: If he's healthy and he plays at the level he did play at, I think Shaquille
1: Leonard can make well, yeah, that argument. Okay, that, that's fair. I was really looking at guys, I guess not even being bogus. I, I honestly had kind of blocked him out of my mind because we haven't seen him in a year and a half. Right. But yes, I, I can agree with I'm that.
0: also, and again, this is, this is the doubting Thomas in me, not to say that Shaq can't get back to that level, but because it's been a year and because the injury concern is still hovering over him, yeah. I need to see it again before I'm willing to I'm not say he doesn't have it in him or he can't still have it in him because he's a darn good player when healthy but I know you could say well Jonathan Taylor wasn't healthy all of last year either well he also had a porous offensive line he was dealing with when he was out there and we're being sold that that offensive line has improved now with Tony Sperano Jr. So if you're buying into that and you're buying into healthy Jonathan Taylor you're assuming he's going to be able to dominate the game the same way he did in 21.
1: Yeah I mean I think that you know first of all when you're saying your piece about Shaq will just cut that quote up and, and get rid of the back half like we do with Saquon Barkley and just put it out there. Hey. I'm like, hey Shaq, did you see what Jimmy said hey. about you the first time I see him? But no, I think that's a very honest assessment. But um, to your point, yeah, with JT, the injury is a lot more minor. He had surgery on his ankle, but it's not anywhere near the level of concern or questions or mystery. But either way, first, second best player, whatever. He's a he's a better running back than Michael Pittman Jr. is as a wide receiver, but Pittman is a wide receiver and that's all that matters, honestly. So, um, we talk about hypothetical cards you could play. You really don't have any cards. The card is I'm thankful to be in the NFL. This $10 million, you know, uh franchise tag, which might jump a little bit next year or whatever the case may be. I'm thankful for that. And that's it. Like there are no cards to be played because you're in this wheelhouse that will never release you until they deem you as someone who is either not producing enough or not worth the price that comes with your production. And so, I mean, unless somebody gets out here and plays like they're in, like, Tecmo Bowl and you just can't tackle them like Bo Jackson was, where you just <laughs> – you know, he's just a, a literal cheat code where, like, you're, you're rushing for 20 touchdowns a year, never get injured, never get hurt, you know, carrying the team. Realistically – It's not worth it, especially when we look at the teams, the high level teams that have the top 10 or top tier quarterbacks, like, you know, Kansas City, like Philadelphia, like Cincinnati. You can't, the average fan could not tell me who was like their leading rusher all those years or, you know, their top guys because they do it by committee. And the evidence shows that it works when you have a guy under center and if the, the Colts feel like they have found a guy with Anthony Richardson I can't see them you know three four five six years from now continue to invest in a running back no matter who it is
0: and if you needed more evidence with where running backs are valued in this league and it wasn't enough for 27 year old running backs like Dalvin Cook like Ezekiel Elliott getting waived or cut after having at least in Dalvin Cook's case a very strong productive year last year if that wasn't enough for you to see it if it wasn't enough for you to see where these tags are at from a value standpoint and the players unable to get what they feel is a fair negotiation on an extension and instead are forced to take the tag, if that's not enough for you, James mentioned how a lot of teams do it by committee. Let me, the one pushback to that would be well, but look at the Bengals. They have Joe Mixon. They just restructured with Joe Mixon
1: and he took a pay yeah, cut. They told it. him, it if wasn't you don't a here's take... money
0: now. It was we're taking a yeah, pay it cut. It was
1: here. either you take this pay cut or we're going to cut you. So it wasn't, I I love how, and you have to frame it this way to keep some level of professionalism when you're reporting these things, but it's like, they agreed to, no, they didn't really agree to anything. They told him, this is what we're going to do. And you have a yes or you're out scenario. It's not like, oh no, I want my, like, no, that's not how it works. Especially if the money isn't guaranteed during that year of your contract, which as we know with the NFL, after those first couple of seasons, it usually isn't, which is why there's always an out. And so, yeah, Joe Mixon thought, okay, I'll take less money to stay on a championship team and it's still a lot of money in like the grand scheme of things but as we've been talking about all week it's relative to what they're making in the NFL which is why it's such a sticking point. Now no one's calling Saquon Barkley, JT, all these guys like broke because they're going to make, yeah. you know, oh my gosh, 10 million. It's just relative to their peers, they're underpaid.
0: In today's NFL general manager business side of things when you're looking at the cap and you're looking at the amount of spending that you want to go through We've established the fact that running backs are your area where you're willing to either cut costs or be cheaper than other positions. And with that kind of common thread in mind, because, again, it's league wide. It's not just the Colts. It's not just the Giants, not just the Raiders. That's why we were talking about yesterday, where if Jonathan Taylor was to ever hit the open market, I mean, maybe you'd have one crazy team that was willing to pay him just an insane amount of money that's over market value because they desperately need somebody like him. Maybe that would happen. But the more likely scenario is he's not getting any better of an offer than he would have if the Colts wind up giving him an extension. But back to the financials of it, if I'm a general manager in today's NFL and I want to know if you guys agree with this or if you want to push back on it, that's fine. How I would attack this, assuming the money's right at like somewhere between a 17 to $20 million evaluation, I'm extending Michael Pittman Jr. before the season starts. That is the avenue that I'm taking. I'm extending Michael Pittman Jr. Three or four year deal. Again, somewhere between 17 and 20. That puts him right around the range of, depending on how much money it is, either a top 20 wide receiver on an average year basis, or it puts him right inside top 15, but at the bottom end of that. Control him for three years. He's also a very young wide receiver. By the time he's done, you're really at a crossroads where Anthony Richardson's contract is starting to enter that extension territory. And then you can find out if you really think Michael Pittman Jr. is a stable part of this team into his early 30s or if he is a piece that, okay, we're ready to to let you walk and we'll turn a different direction. You have that on your books now in that scenario. I'm letting Taylor play out the contract and then I'm seeing where negotiations go next year. And at worst... I place the tag on him and it's a haircut for my salary cap of anywhere between 10 and $11 million for one season versus the 19 to $20 million for a one-year sample size I would be getting out of Michael Pittman Jr.
1: Yeah, we've talked a lot about JT's value relative to the development of Anthony Richardson, but perhaps we haven't talked about it enough, but you know who's going to help his development as well? Michael Pittman Jr. And you can't let your best... Receiver option, no matter what tier you think he's on right now, leave. Yeah. When you just drafted a quarterback, so I don't expect Pittman to be going anywhere unless he wants to. Right. But it's not. I don't think it'll be more, much more of like a sticking point with him, whatever the numbers might be, because I think the Colts will be more willing to pay him because of the position and who they just drafted. Because as much as we talk about some of the misdirection things you can do with JT in the backfield, the attention that he draws from defenses you still have to have capable guys out there to catch the ball for right. your rookie receiver and – I mean, not rookie receiver, rookie quarterback. And with Pittman, to his credit, the Duke catches a lot of balls, um, pretty good catch radius. Does he have a great separation, great speed? Maybe not. But, like, he's still a pretty good player, and he's shown that he can produce whenever you give him a quarterback that can just throw it downfield. Yep. I mean, again, last year they threw so many short – Throws where it was like you might as well just run the ball because they can never move it vertically. And I think just giving him the opportunity to go up and get the ball will help so much with his production. That's one thing that Anthony Richardson actually is good at when we talk about the accuracy issues. His accuracy actually gets better on the deep ball than it is on like the intermediate throws and the underneath stuff. So I think that's where like a lot of his touch and timing will have to come in. But deep throws, he was pretty solid at Florida if you look at the tape.
0: There's a couple things I want to clarify. I'm not saying. Oh, yes, you are. With that evaluation (laughs) of where I would spend the money, that Jonathan Taylor is not an important part of this offense, is not at this point going into camp the most important part of the offense. But if you look at it from the business side of things and you're trying to balance the cap in ways where you're able to. Strike well, Anthony Richardson's contract is team friendly and take advantage of the cap space you have. That's right. I'm not saying collect cap space like your Danny Ainge and their draft picks. I'm talking about legitimately using cap space to then spend it and make your team better as a whole or keep your own. The more fiscally responsible move, it's not the human move, it's not the fairest move for the player, is to tag Jonathan Taylor next year at a $10 million to maybe $11 million evaluation, he's going to play this year. Jonathan Taylor's going to play this year. Like that, it, it, A holdout does nothing for him other than lose money.
1: Yeah, and, and he still has a year left on his deal, Correct. so it's like you were holding out for two years in the future that right. just wouldn't make sense, but go ahead. And then on the flip side,
0: I don't think at this stage, I tried to do this battle last year, whether you want to blame the quarterback or not, or quarterbacks or not last year, Michael Pittman Jr. has not shown that he is upper echelon wide receiver one, and he might never be that. But when I say $20 million a year, the names that are making that per year, DJ Moore, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Amari Cooper, Chris Godwin, if you don't want to pay him $20 million a year, Deontay Johnson, Christian Kirk, Tyler Lockett. Mike Evans, Hunter Renfro, those are the names that are in that list. So when you hear that figure, it's $20 million. It's like, oh, I don't want to pay Michael Pittman Jr. $20 million. Michael Pittman Jr. is still very young. He still has not had, in my mind, the clear-cut wide receiver that would help him not develop necessarily, but shine the way that he is supposed to within this offense. And on top of that, it's a different animal with where the cap is by percentage with trying to retain your wide receivers – even at a wide receiver two level. And if you don't believe me on that, look at what just happened with Christian Kirk a year ago. Wide receivers, particularly ones that are able to find the football and be chain movers, even if it's not long distance deep threat, it's the ability to extend drives like we've seen, particularly in third down Michael Pittman Jr. do. That is worth 18 to $20 million on the free agent market. A team would pay him that next year.
2: May I enter the conversation here? Absolutely. I disagree, Absolutely with, your not. S- I disagree with your statement that he about the wide receiver one part of it i think he's a fringe wide receiver one but i don't think he can be the guy that you're like all right go line up outside go line up inside go get open whatever sure if he maintains the average of his previous two seasons in yards per catch at 12 yards last year we're talking about him having a 1200 yard season okay last year his yards per catch dropped by three yards if you give him a competent quarterback I, I would I would find it hard to believe that he would not finish top 10 in the NFL in receiving notes.
0: I want to make sure that I said this correctly, and maybe I didn't. Michael Pittman Jr., last year, I expected to take a big leap. And what I said was, maybe I didn't say it this way. I expected him to take a big leap this year, or last year. He did not. I blame it, in large part, on the quarterback play. Some people blame it on him, and oh, if you're an elite wide receiver, you should be able to take that step forward regardless who's under center and the argument that was thrown at us last week was DeAndre Hopkins because look at what he dealt with when he was in Houston all that said I think he still could be a wide receiver one but I'm not getting on that train again this year because there's still the uncertainty of what is the rookie quarterback going to look like or what Gardner Minshew is going to look like can he be a fringe wide receiver one yes but Eddie for context I don't really view DJ Moore as a true wide receiver one because Fair. he was in Carolina, and he was wide receiver one by name alone because he was at the top of the depth chart. And I'm not saying he can't be great in Chicago, but I'm not all in on Justin Fields. But I also so,
1: think that it's relative to the team you're on, sure. like you're alluding to. And like both of you guys said, I see Eddie's point because it's like, how can you judge a guy based off of what he's been given? And I think... The same goes for DJ Moore, in my opinion. Yeah, sure. and I, I think Pittman has been given... Like a horrible hand as far as wide receivers. But in negotiating, it's a game of cat and mouse. Like he might bring that to the table. But the Colts are going to always – teams are always going to go off what you did, not what you could have done had the situation been more optimal to whatever you were trying to do. That's just the bottom line. Like it could be rude, it could be petty, but it is just reality. I I rarely ever see it, at least in the NFL, where they pay you for what you – haven't done yet right like you got and he's shown enough to get paid i believe but you talk about friends wide receiver one is he wide receiver two i would think that and that's about
0: where a 20 million dollar evaluation is
1: exactly and then to eddie's point he pointed it out yesterday when we were like again texting the market might help him next year which is huge i mean i'm looking at some of these names in 2024 who who were you know free agents and some of these guys will probably get re-signed like i don't I don't foresee T. Higgins leaving Cincinnati unless they just don't want to pay the guy or they don't have enough money to pay the guy. But, like, outside of T. Higgins next summer, the other big – name I mean, Chase Claypool, you know, McCole Hardman. And these are – I'm going off, like, age. Pittman might be able to get a nice bag because he's younger. He'll be only 26 at the time. And he's durable, as Eddie pointed out yesterday. Yep. And – the market might decide if you're a higher pay guy than you should be.
0: All the more reason to extend it before training camp.
1: Yes. I do I do kind of agree with that because I do think the number probably goes up. You're, bu- you're buying low. You're if trying you want to call to. it that on yeah. Michael
0: Pittman Jr. right now.
1: You're trying to. And yes. that's
0: at $20 million, to be clear. That, Pretty cause, much. Cause yeah. That's
1: an that's 18
0: $19, 20000000 million potential valuation. The only separation I was trying to make is. I think Michael Pittman Jr. is a talented wide receiver. I think DJ Moore is a talented wide receiver. People hear $20 million, they lose their mind. Top end wide receivers, 30, 28, 26, 25, 24, 23 million dollars. That's names like Tyreek, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, AJ Brown. Like that, that that's where that Ooh. that's where that top end of the line ball is. There. And I'm telling you that from fringe or middle of the pack... It's in that $20 million range. So it's more to emphasize to listeners and fans that that might seem like a big figure if you hear four years, $80 million, but. That's about where the market is for a wide receiver, right. even of fringe
1: wide receiver one territory. Yeah, if I'm the Colts, I'm not even coming in at twenty though to start. I, I would. No, yeah,
0: again, I'm not. Uh, hey, uh, sure, negotiate. Uh, that's hey, fine. How you
1: like that eighteen million? Hey. You know, and then you kind of go from there. Yeah. But you don't
0: give your best offer first. Yeah, exactly. James. Come on. I mean, Come I'm on. just
1: saying. You know, people are like, just pay the man. It's like, no, there's always going to be negotiating, even if you really like a player. And you know they're going to be back, there's always going to be a negotiation because that's just what it is. It is. It'll be poor business practice to be like, hey, here's whatever. Unless it's like, you know, my homes or something. He's like, pay me, whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, you're my homes, I'll just pay you, whatever.
0: <laughs> Blank check. Blank check. we got a great show for you today. Like I said, we're going to cover a lot of bases. We'll go Colts, NBA some Titans, some Giants, how it impacts the running back market throughout the day, plus final thoughts, observations, and position battles for training camp. We go to the NBA when we come back. John Krasinski covers the NBA for the Athletic as well as the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll look at a number of different angles from this offseason, especially the Pacers when we come back on the Fan Midday Show.
1: Still here in the DriveHubler.com studio, I'm James Boyd alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. Thank you for tuning in this Friday to the Fan Midday Show. We talked a lot in that first segment about the NFL, NFL contracts, NFL stars. We're going to pivot now to NBA stars. And my buddy John Krasinski, who covers the Timberwolves for The Athletic, knows what it's like to have a small market team reward a superstar with the max deal. And so, John, um, first off, thanks for coming on.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, James. Great to be on with you and uh, glad to be here.
1: All right. So we have been discussing and breaking down the Tyrese Halliburton extension ever since it happened. And you look over and it's pretty much the same sort of situation playing out with Minnesota with them investing in Anthony Edwards. And so um, how big do you think it is for these teams to be able to nail down their guy and sort of point their franchise in a new direction. And obviously it looks like it's going to be a bright one if Anthony Richardson, not Anthony Richardson, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm in Colts <Colesland>, but Anthony <laughs> Edwards is uh, leading the way there, Minnesota.
3: Yeah, James. I mean, you know, I, I think that you guys know there and I covered the Pacers a long time ago. So I know that market very well. Um, and it, it's similar here in Minneapolis. When you have a team that does not, serve as a destination for free agents when you're not in Miami, when you're not out LA in New York, where you just can kind of bank on free agents getting uh, past their, er- their early deals and then wanting to come and play uh, in these markets. Uh, you have to find a way to draft and develop your stars and, uh, and not just like your supporting players, but your a number one franchise face type stars. And I think when you look at both the Timberwolves and the Pacers over the last several years, maybe one of the reasons that they have not been able to sort of break through in their respective conferences is really it gets down to you don't have that number one guy that you can hit your wagon to and can carry you through it. And now it looks like with Halliburton and Anthony Edwards – both franchises have found that number one guy, the one that helps make other teammates better, the one that uh, can take over a game in multiple phases uh, when it's needed, Um, the one that uh, will not sort of bow down to the pressures of being in a small market and trying to lift up an entire franchise. And so to have a guy like Edwards, I know the Timberwolves are ecstatic about getting him done with a five-year deal. And I'm sure the Pacers are, The same way with Halliburton, because they are both just such bright young stars with charisma, with personality, with leadership qualities, and with the games to match. It's just the biggest thing that you need in the NBA these days.
1: So that was my next question. You have two number one picks on that team. Obviously, Carl Anthony Towns is very talented. I don't think you can score 60 points in an NBA game and not be talented. But is Anthony Richard, again, I'm sorry, Anthony Edwards, the guy? You see how much I've been talking about this guy. But Anthony Edwards, is he the number one guy? as he looked at, even from Cat's point of view, as he's our leader?
3: Well, I, I think that it, it, what both Cat and Anthony Edwards have recognized here, and there's been a ton of that conversation around here, whose team is it? Like, who is the leader? And I think that these two guys have played together long enough now, three years now, um, that they understand, and Kat really understands this as well as anybody, is that you can't just have one really good player and be successful in the NBA, especially in the Western Conference. You need multiple all-star level players to have a chance to win. And Towns has lost uh, an incredible amount of games in his eight years in um, in Minnesota. He's been to the playoffs three times, never been out of the first round. And so now that he has seen Anthony Edwards come along, um, they have made the playoffs the last two years with Ant as his running mate. Um, and the, the most important part of this whole thing is that Cat um, and Ant get along really, really well. Uh, the cat and Jimmy Butler thing did not go well when it was when when Jimmy was here. Um, but there's a real mutual respect for each other, and so I don't know that either one of them look at this situation as it's my team, it's not your team. I think they look at it as, hey, we can we need each other for this thing to have a chance to work, and um, and so just because they get along that that well and they have that 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 chemistry I don't think that you have the same sort of possible friction or danger that comes a lot of times in this league when egos clash when 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 there's power struggles I just don't see that happening here in Minnesota.
0: John when we look back now a little over a year removed from the Rudy Gobert trade and and we know how it was dissected and in some ways panned or or discredited by the league as a whole no first round pick at least of their own accord for the timberwolves but they're able to go acquire one uh, from san antonio and make a couple selections in this draft but with that behind them knowing that they'll have their own first round pick in 2024 where is the vibe around the front office and the fan base post trade because there's all these great vibes of anthony edwards and retaining a, a key piece for the foreseeable future but is there any regret now from that rudy gobert trade you removed
3: Well, certainly if you ask fans, absolutely. Um, Fans here are pretty down on Gobert in general. He had an underwhelming season, especially at the start of the season. He really did not play very well. And I think that really poisoned the perception of him um, within the local fan base. Um, And it was a tough year in that regard for him. I still think that internally, Uh, the Timberwolves executives and coaches believe that this can still work. And they will tell you, they will make the argument that there's no way that this team would have made the playoffs last season with Towns missing 52 games like he did. If Rudy Gobert wasn't here, they're right about that. He was very good defensively, especially the second half of the season. He showed some signs of kind of fitting in a little bit better as the season went along, but there still is a long way to go. Uh, when you give up the amount of capital they gave up, draft, player, draft equity and, um, and players that they gave up, Rudy Gobert, you, and you're paying him what you are paying him, which is a max salary contract for the next three years, you need to get more production from him. And so there is a belief that going into this next season with the full training camp, um, with more familiarity, that he will return to the player closer to what was with the Utah Jazz three-time defensive player of the year and all that stuff. But that said, he has a lot to prove. And this Timberwolves team has a lot to show all of the doubters and skeptics out there, both in the fan base and around the league, that this can work. There remains a ton of skepticism that, that they can actually figure out a way to make this work. And so there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on Rudy Gobert and on this team in the next, uh, especially at the start of next season, to see if they've figured anything out or if this really is as doomed an experiment as some people believe it
1: is. I don't know. I just remember that punch at the end of the season. I was like, what the heck is going on in Minnesota? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) When you look at them actually making the playoffs, I mean, you look at it, it's pretty crazy. They knocked off, or at least for one game, the Denver Nuggets, which the Lakers couldn't Mm do. And so... When they've had that taste, and I guess with Anthony Edwards in particular, what do you think it takes to make that next step? Because I think here in Indianapolis, for the Indiana Pacers, it's how do you get to the play in the playoffs, but obviously it feels like the Timberwolves are a little bit further along. So how hungry is Anthony Edwards to sort of have that, that postseason success?
3: Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the thing that I think brings a lot of optimism around here is that in his two playoff series, this uh, last one against the Nuggets and against the Grizzlies the year before, where they lost in six games in the first round, um, Anthony Edwards came to play both series. Had really really strong series. I think Bruce Brown was on a podcast um, this this summer and he said that both the, that the Timberwolves were the hard that yeah. gave the Nuggets the hardest series, and Anthony Edwards was the hardest guy for him to guard. And so that tells you that uh, he he is capable of really strong performances and taking over games, even in the playoffs, not just a regular season player. One thing that we saw from Anthony Edwards in the Denver series as it kind of slipped away was you could see that it really bothered him, that he was really upset that he was going to miss going to the second round of the playoffs for a second year in a row. And a lot of times these career arcs for NBA players is you have to get punched in the mouth a couple of times early on and understand that you don't like the taste of blood in your own mouth and, and and you have to work at it and it has to serve as motivation and get you going and push you harder in the summertime to prepare, for, prepare for the next season. And I think that's what we have seen from Anthony Edwards is he understands that, hey, I really don't like to lose. And he is one of the few guys on this roster that can sort of almost by himself make uh, turn those things around and and make it so that they don't lose. And so when you have your best player um, under contract and also incredibly motivated to not bow out in the first round again, uh, I think that serves the Wolves well going into this season. And if he can use that disappointment, as fuel going forward, uh, that, that should help him and help this team a lot.
0: John, I want to pivot for just a second. John Krasinski, nice enough to take some time with us, covers all things Minnesota sports for the athletic. I want to pivot towards the NFL for just a second because we're seeming around the NFL and it's been a discussion we've had the last couple of weeks. The... Public now, I guess part of running backs where their value really is. Teams have known it for the last couple of seasons, but now we're really seeing it coming to the public eye with ongoing battles of fighting the tag and should you extend a player and should you not. When you look back at the season that Dalvin Cook had last year, and we know Alexander Madison, unlike other teams, was kind of waiting in the wings and the Vikings like what they have with him, but how surprised were you at the swiftness of them letting him go? And then how surprised are you now that Dalvin Cook, as we enter camp, is still without a team?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I, I particularly wasn't surprised just because, you know, when you're around the team and you see the way that their GM, Quezia Daflemensa, and, and their and their head coach, Kevin O'Connell, want to run things, you can see that Dalvin was probably um, you know, not long for the way that they want to run their team and also with the money they're going to have to pay Justin Jefferson and several other high profile players. Like you got, you got to squeeze it somewhere. And running backs, unfortunately, are the ones getting squeezed. And so Dalvin was, is on a, was on a lucrative contract. And, um, and so that was an area that they targeted as, as a place that, Hey, we might have to nip and tuck here so we can create more room elsewhere to, to keep some of the guys at the more, Uh, featured positions on our roster. And so uh, to see him let go after another productive season was not surprising, but I am a little bit surprised that he has not yet landed with the Jets, with the Dolphins, with, with another team, because unlike some of the other running backs that we have seen get squeezed like this, Dalvin isn't at the end of his career. He's 20, you know, he's 27 years old. I think he'd be 28 this year. He still has, you know, a year or two before that vaunted 30 that you hit, and and, and a lot of times where you really tail off. He's still a home run hitter, very productive, um, but he is getting towards the end of what normally is a prime for running back, and he's had several injuries that he's had to deal with over the course of his career. So he's not incredibly durable, but when you put the ball in his hands, he is one of those guys that – uh he might, you know, go for three, might go for four, he might go for two, and then he's gonna go for sixty. And that's just how dangerous that he is. And I believe he remains a dangerous player right now, um e- even despite not being signed.
1: John, were you there in Minnesota for that collapse against the Colts? Or vice versa. I guess they oh, yeah. come back.
3: Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. No, you know what? I was not there because um it was, I had a, I think, a family gathering. It was the one home game that I missed that season. And I remember tweeting during the first half, like, oh, this is the best decision that I ever made not to go cover this game because <laughs> it looked like, I mean, just a wipeout. And, um, and there really wasn't a whole lot to say. And, you know, the, the tweet did not age well. It was old takes exposed <laughs> in about 30 minutes and, um, and a remarkable remarkable comeback but yeah that was the one game that I actually missed this season
1: oh no I was there I was just asking because in that game jokes aside Dalvin Cook looked he was part of that that change talk about making a big play he had that huge screen pass and took it to the house and so obviously they're pivoting away from him and, and, and and their core obviously is made up of one of the best wide receivers in the game arguably the best in the game right now and so what has it been like to see Justin Jefferson's ascension and how valuable it is to get – you know, everyone talks about getting the quarterback right, and obviously that matters the most in the NFL. But to get that true top-tier number one receiver, what has that done for the franchise? And, again, what has it been like to see him kind of make a name for himself at a place that has had great you know, wide receiver tradition?
3: Yeah, that I mean, that's the key, James, is like he's, he's – quickly ascending to the Mount Rushmore of Vikings receivers. And that is a high bar to clear. I mean, you got Moss, you got Carter, Chris Carter, you have Anthony Carter, you have Jake Reed, you have a ton of, you know, Stefan Diggs, you have a ton of great receivers who have come through here. And Jefferson is quickly just establishing himself as a marquee player. And he's one of, I, I would argue, he's, you know, close to transcending that star power in the NFL where you become a little bit more recognizable as a household name to casual fans. I mean, there's not many guys because they wear the helmets that, um, that are that visible, Uh, the Patrick Mahomes level, the Tom Brady level, Peyton Manning level. Um, But for, for a receiver to do it, uh, I think uh, Jefferson is close to that. And the biggest thing that he's done for the Vikings, James, is that, um they, they have, there's been this kind of constant debate about whether Kirk Cousins is a good enough quarterback for them to win playoff games and have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And prior to Jefferson's arrival, uh, he, Cousins was very mediocre. Last year, Cousins had an incredibly productive, season, and because Jefferson wins so many contested balls, because he is so dynamic down the field, Jefferson has gotten Cousins to sort of break out of the robotic mold that he's had for most of his career, where he's just an ice-cold decision-maker, and he goes one way, and he doesn't take chances. Jefferson's gotten him to take a few more chances and change the way in subtle ways that Kirk Cousins plays quarterback, and that has made this offense more dangerous because Cousins is willing to cut it loose a little bit down the field towards Jefferson and just trust him to make a play where he would not trust many of the other receivers that he's thrown to. So uh, that just that element of danger added is, is a huge one for Jefferson. And, you know, a lot of times quarterbacks make receivers better. I think in this case, the receiver has made the quarterback better.
1: Look, John, we appreciate your time, man. I'll make sure to check in with you throughout the season, both NBA, NFL. I'm excited to see Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Halliburton team up for Team USA in the World Cup later this summer. But you take care, my friend.
3: Hey, big fan of your work, James. Keep killing it out there, and I'll talk to you soon, man.
1: All right. That was John Krasinski, covers the Minnesota Timberwolves, Minnesota Vikings for the Athletic. A lot of good points I thought he made about Anthony Edwards, the running back market. And I'm always fascinated when I talk to reporters who have to keep both leagues straight. Because as you saw with me, I kept getting my Anthonys mixed up. It happens. but. You know, I guess that's because there's an Anthony Richardson out here that really, really matters, and so I guess we won't stop talking about him. That just means you're so excited to be in the hot (laughs) sun there at uh, Grand Park. You're
0: just counting down the days. There you go. (laughs) That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Gerson here with us as well. When we come back, a veteran running back reached a contract agreement. What does it mean for the rest of the running backs looking for the same, particularly here in Indiana? We'll talk about that when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Well, a veteran running back received a contract offer and agreed to terms on it, but it's not the running back that you would have thought based on the conversations we've had today. Melvin Gordon, the veteran, reaches a free agent agreement on a contract. One-year deal worth $3.1 million with the Baltimore Ravens. That from Adam Schefter, per his league sources. James, we're going to expand on that and where it is with the state of running backs around that true 30 age mark at the 130 segment ironically enough but your initial reactions to that contract agreement with Gordon
1: and the Ravens we finally saw a running back deal I mean, we haven't seen one. It feels like all summer. So kudos to him for getting his money and whatever he can get in a market that obviously doesn't really value that position as much as it used to.
0: It is a crowded backfield within Baltimore. We'll expand on that and what it means for the Ravens as they now have their quarterback locked up and they have an additional piece in the running back room locked up as well. Plus, we'll look at the overall standpoint of another running back close in age that we talked about the type of deals running backs now in their late 20s early 30s are going to have to sign with contenders what that means for the running backs that are still available what that might mean for jonathan taylor moving forward but we'll keep it in the afc more specifically the afc south joe rex road covers the titans for the athletic we'll get his takeaways from the DeAndre hopkins arrival and where they stand within the south this year when we come back on the fan midday show fan midday show jimmy cook james boyd eddie garrison with us in the DriveHuber.com studios Hope you're having a wonderful Friday. I am. I'm glad to hear that. That was more general towards the audience and and rhetorical, but I'm glad that you're having that as well. Speaking of good Fridays, if you're wanting to have a high-level, excitement-filled Friday, you're going to have your opportunity here in a couple of weeks, but you don't have to wait for the date to arrive you can get your tickets now. That, of course, is for the Fan on the Back Nine Golf Outing presented by Franciscan Health. It's going to take place at Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center August 18th from 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, JMV will all be out there, and each ticket purchased benefits the American Heart Association, whose mission is, co- is committed to protecting the hearts you love and, together, saving lines. Check-in will be at 10 a.m. right in the Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center. Here in downtown Indianapolis, lunch will be provided. Kick things off around 11 o'clock. is going to do a live show from there, 3 to 6, plus a silent auction as well. That'll benefit this year's charity. You'll have sports memorabilia, one-of-a-kind experiences up for grabs than that silent auction. No better way to have a day of hooky on your calendar then at the Back Nine Golf and Entertainment Center, and particularly when you get to spend it with the fan again that August eighteenth, 10 am to four thirty pm. back nine Golf and Entertainment Center, get your tickets now. you can do so at 1075thefan.com. efforting Joe Rexroad as things stands we're able to obtain him to again take a dive into the Titans and where their outlook is heading into training camp. great for the time being, we'll resume that conversation though with the running back market and where it's at. We discussed this yesterday, James. For running backs now that are in that 25 to 27 range, it feels like that is the new mark of a decade ago where, well, once you get to 30, you're willing to think about how much you're willing to pay for a running back. And now it feels like it's dropped to, well, once you're around 27, 28, we're willing to think about how much money or how much percentage of the cap we're willing to invest your way. And I can hear from my headset that it sounds like we have Joe Reckford, so won't be able to dive fully into this as we wanted to. But it, it makes for a fascinating conversation as to whether or not running backs of the Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott variety, what type of money they could maybe expect if they're getting on loan to a team for a year as training camp and everything unfolds. But we do have Joe Road. He covers the Titans for The Athletic. Nice enough to make some time with us in this last break period before training camp begins. Joe, how are you on a Friday?
4: I'm doing great, guys. Uh, looking forward to camp. How are you guys doing? We're doing great.
1: I'm doing better than great. I am excited <laughs> for camp. No, I'm joking. I'm like, hey, camp is like You know 50 50 you're excited for but it's gonna be hot and like long and so um it should be exciting though with the new quarterback here and in Tennessee so we'll
0: see Joe James has a bucket hat ready to go for camp (laughs) because he, he, he wants to be prepared like most experienced beat writers do for the elements out there do you have a routine or anything you have prepared for Titans camp in terms of uh protection for yourself
4: Oh, absolutely, the bucket hat. I mean, I, at this point, at my age, I mean, if I go out in one of the flowers, I won't uh, <laughs> have to do that, you know. But actually, I'm, I'm debating. I've got a, a friend, John Glennon, who's been here during the times a long time, who goes the long sleeve route, and Ooh. I've always been a little like, oh man, it looks so hot, and it's 96 out here. But you know, I mean, I'm, I'm actually considering it. You know, some you know some light but long sleeves. So we'll see.
1: I'm taking notes over here, you know, I'm just taking notes. (laughs) We actually had John on a a couple weeks ago, so it's funny you brought him up. But um, to, I guess, get a little bit more serious, when you look at what is surrounding the Titans, the biggest news, obviously, of late is DeAndre Hopkins. So what is the vibe around their franchise now that they know that they have a number one receiver, but obviously there's still some questions there about how he's going to fit, who's going to be throwing to him all season, things like that.
3: Yeah,
4: well, it's certainly, I mean, Titans fans are excited. I mean, like, the Titans have kind of been, it's like two timelines, almost like the, the Spider-Verse movies, you know? It's kind of like, are you on the rebuild timeline <laughs> retool, or you still think you're good? And, you know, inquiring about the value, you know, Derek Henry, and Ryan Tannehill, I think it was possible this year that they would, be, would have been willing to take, you know, a more significant step back and, and look for the future, but... You know, once Tannehill and Henry are coming back, you need to be as good as you can be. I mean, it's you know, I mean, this is probably their last hurrah. So, the receiver room—I think you could have made a case for the Titans to have the worst receiver room in the NFL before this. I, certainly, the least proven. I mean, I think Traylon Burks has a chance to be very good, and Kyle Phillips has a chance to be good. But yeah, this is a, a pretty big deal. Of course, if he's healthy and available and all that stuff, but all indications are that he is. And you know, Mike Vrabel does have the pre-existing relationship with him, so. I think there's more, uh, I guess, certainty on the Titans' part than maybe two years ago, or at least Brabel's part than like two years ago when John Robinson traded for Julio Jones. And Titans fans, there's a long list of type uh, you of know, veteran receivers, great receivers who have come to Nashville and just for whatever reason, like just their careers have kind of just faded. So Titans fans are, you know, hoping that changes. But yeah, I mean, it's it, to me gives them a chance. They have a pretty good skill group potentially now. With Tiger Conkright, Pat, and also um, Ty J. Spears, a running back they drafted, they really say about him, especially in the passing game. So we'll see if they can block.
0: You mentioned veteran wide receivers that find Tennessee as a a retirement home. I know you didn't say it that bluntly, but but that's kind of how we we viewed it in Indianapolis. And the name that comes to mind, at least most recently, is Julio Jones. And I think most of us would agree that DeAndre Hopkins, at least in terms of where he appears to be at from a physical standpoint, isn't in that same crater off like it was year after year in Atlanta, where is this Julio's last year? How much does he have left? But. As you refer to all of that, of the maybe concern or the the fear of, oh, well, this is just a destination where players go to get a final paycheck and, and, you know, ride off into the sunset in that regard with the money. As you look at the differences between where Julio Jones was for this offense when they acquired him and where DeAndre Hopkins is, they're two totally different receivers. But in a similar sense, you're hoping for the type of payoff to a higher degree than what you actually got out of Julio Jones a couple years ago. No.
4: Yeah, for sure. And you know the the huge difference, of course, is Julio joined an offense that in 2020 was averaging 31 points a game. I mean, it was really it was one of the best offenses in the NFL. I mean, it had everything going. Derrick Henry, 2,000 plus. Tannehill was a Pro Bowl-level quarterback that year. A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, Johnny Smith. I mean, now, of course, they, they lost Davis and, and Smith in that off season, But, you know, the the narrative around here then, I mean, that, that was the most – Hyped and anticipated Titans team in season 21 going into the season than I, I think since McNair and Eddie George, you know, wow. 20 years earlier. And of course, the, the wild thing is they still got the one seed that year, but it was not what we thought. And certainly in terms of Julio, it was not. It, what's, what's similar is that, you know, the, the numbers for Hopkins last year and Julio last year, right down to both with nine games, I think one had 771, one had 717. They both had three touchdowns. Like eerily similar numbers. So, you know, it's, it's impossible not to think of it. But I think to your point, I think the hope, one, is that with Julio, obviously, Julio, I an mean, all time great, a Hall of Famer, and, you know, uh, when he was at his best, very much, you know, a speed guy. I mean, a guy who relied heavily at on his speed, all around great player. But Hopkins has never been a, an ex- exceedingly fast receiver. He has. Some things, I think with age, he can still age better into them. I mean, the catch radius is ridiculous. Everybody knows he's uh, an incredibly good route runner. So it's, it's just the health, you know. Julio had had the hamstring the year before, and that was really the first year he'd had any significant injury that kept him out of significant time. Hopkins had two straight years of stuff although it was the mcl on hamstring two years ago last year was the pd suspension and then whatever happened at the end of the year i mean it was a knee injury that the, the cardinals apparently didn't think he was really hurt but yeah, you know, the titans are hoping that he wasn't right i mean <laughs> that basically that he's past the mcl stuff and and can be more himself and more the version of himself that he was before all that
1: yeah i love how we talk about you know what it took to get you know, DeAndre Hopkins there, and, and you'll have all these stories inside the, you know, addition of him. And it's like they handed him a bag of money that other teams were not willing to give him. And so it's very enticing, no matter who's the quarterback and things like that. But when we're talking about money, one of the hot topics is obviously running backs and their lack of being paid. And one of the players who was awarded, not recently, but I would say most recently among running backs was Derrick Henry. And what were you? What was your reaction to him sort of voicing his opinion about the depreciation of that position, and even him being as lead as he is, maybe kind of seeing the writing on the wall?
4: Yeah, well, James, yeah, I tell you, you know, Derrick Henry is not someone who's out there tweeting about much, you know. So they, you, uh, you take notice when he does, and you know that it, it means a lot to him. And it's really interesting because. When Derrick Henry got his second deal with the Titans, there were, there were people all over the NFL, but even people in this town, people who I, I, I still don't let them you know forget about it, who were screaming, you don't pay a running back. You don't pay that second deal with a running back. You draft another one. Come on, look at all the recent examples of guys who got paid and then broke down, you know, Todd Gurley, whatever. And, and guys, look. You've got to look at this on a case-by-case basis. He is – I mean, he just carried them to within a half of the Super Bowl with one of the most dominant stretches of running the football we've ever seen in the NFL. And you're telling me you don't pay that guy? And, of course, it was the absolute right decision to pay him. I mean, even paying him, of course, and the sad thing for running backs is, like, his deal still wasn't even that much bigger than, like, Chris Johnson got, you know, in 2008. I mean, it's just – it's absurd. But but he's an example of at least a, like – you, you can't just go across the board and say running back this or running back that. There are outliers. But, unfortunately, for a lot of guys who, who, who uh, play at that position, that's what he is. He's an outlier. And uh, so, yeah, and as far as, as, far as like, looking forward, look, I, I've said this, um, you know, like on our show lately, it's like I, I can see Derek Henry having another 1500 yard season and um, being really good, being great again, and still not finding – a great market out there uh, next year if he's not here, you know? And, and I think it's just, he's just a unique player. He's kind of a throwback player. And, and what the Titans do, it's, it's built around him. How many teams out there not only w- would want to pay him much, but would then want to kind of build around him or, or give him the ball enough to sort of, you know, to, to enhance the value? I think he is a guy who needs volume carries, you know? So it's tough. I mean, it's, it's totally unfair. You know, it is because he is a great player. And I, I've talked about this, too. It's like Nick Saban wanted to make him a linebacker when he came to Alabama. I mean, I, like, down the road, how much joy are we going to be robbed of from great players who should be running backs who just do anything else because it's bad business to be a running back? Like what if Barry Sanders was like turned into a quarterback back in 1986? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible.
0: Joe Rexford with his covers the Titans for the athletic. Joe, when I look at, at Derrick Henry and I look at other players that are top of the market in the running back conversation Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, and, and when those deals got done, I know that with McCaffrey it was in Carolina, but it was teams that looked at the player that they had and realized this is the best aspect of our team. It is the reason we are in games we need to pay this guy, not only because he matters to the fan base, but because he matters to our chances of winning games. And when you look around the league, I feel like there's less and less examples of teams feeling like we have to pay this player because he is the best thing on our offense and there's no other way to win. And you can't clone Derrick Henry's. They don't like you have mentioned, they don't grow on trees. So that's not a real solution for the rest of the running back conversation for this collection of Henry and Taylor and Jacobs and Eckler that are on Twitter and getting mad about where the payroll is for running backs compared to the rest of the league. That's a long way of saying you can't clone it for a solution. There's no way to clone more Derrick Henry's. What is the solution other than waiting until the CBA expires in seven years and, and hoping to renegotiate to a way that is more fitting for running backs?
4: Yeah, I don't know. But I I just think it's – I mean, the the thing is, like, with a McCaffrey – like, Alvin Kamara, uh, as great as Drew Brees was and and Michael Thomas before he started having all the injuries, I mean, how important was he to what they did? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I still think he would be, but but injuries have gotten him, right? Yeah. That's another problem here. So, to me, the only answer is, if you are a running back, be a very good pass-catching running back. You know, like, I still think McCaffrey this year – Along with other people, but he's going to be one of their main weapons. Yep. He's going to be very important to what they do. So it's, there's value there, but I don't. Like, that's the thing with Derek. You know, Derek mm-hmm. worked very hard. To, you know, on his hands and the But he's not a. He's not a. You know, a choice route. You know, short space, quick feet right. guy. It just, it's just never going to be. So he in particular is is just like you're not going to see much more of that. I think anyone now playing the position. Being heavily involved in the pass game as much as possible, being a proficient route runner—that's the only answer I would say for the for the you know for the people who are playing the position. But yeah, I think to your point, more and more th- those value guys and those key central guys are on the outside.
1: Yeah, to piggyback off that, I'm thinking to myself: if an alien like him can't get paid, then what? are mere mortals going to do because (laughs) the guy is I mean he's been durable he's been consistent he's been obviously at an all pro level at some point in his career so you just wonder about the future of that position like you said I do think it's going to have to be sort of just a wide receiver kind of masquerading at running back and kind of how that goes but when we uh, pivot from running back to quarterback that's also I, I would believe in um, Nashville and Tennessee to be a hot topic and so what has it been like to see Ryan Tannehill obviously come back from an injury and then looking at the team perhaps taking a peek at their future with Will Levis yeah
4: well you know, Tannehill and that's the first time he's had you know serious injury issues here he's been very durable here of course you know, part of the end of his Miami time was you know shoulder and knee mm-hmm. uh, and, and but he. But then last year it caught up with him really because, I mean, the guy could barely set up in the pocket. I mean, they lose Terrell Lawan and they didn't have a left tackle, and it was bad. But he's healthy. He's back. He looks good. He's, I think he can be very good if he can get protection. I mean, he's a quarter, he's a good quarterback, at times a very good quarterback, if the condition's are right. I mean, he, he, you know, he needs a clean pocket. I don't know if the Titans are going to provide that or not. But as far as the, the quarterback position itself, you know, in the spring – yeah, I mean he's he's well above both of the backups, Will Levis and Malik Willis. And I would say right now, Malik Willis is a, is ahead of uh, Will Levis. Um, I don't know that that's a huge surprise, but it does speak well. I mean, Malik Willis has worked hard, and there's like the inside the building, people are really happy with what he's done, excited. You know, he never should have played last year. I mean. Coming out of that Hugh Freeze offense in the NFL is not easy. It is a very, very spoon-fed offense. And, you know, the Titans they probably made a mistake in making him QB2 last year. He still has a ton of ability. He's done in the offseason what he's needed to do. So, you know, I, I still say I mean, when you move up to pick Levis in the second round, that's one, not a vote of confidence for Willis. And it's obviously kind of you know, designating uh, Levis as the future. And that that would be my guess right now is that he's the starter next year, but it's going to be very interesting in camp to watch those two compete for reps and it's you know it's possible that next year it could be Levis Willis, maybe one two, maybe in a competition. I mean I'm I'm keeping an open mind on it cuz you know how these things go. I mean look what happened in San Francisco, you know? Sometimes someone you invest a lot in someone and then someone else is just better and you just go with that.
0: Joe, we had John Glennon on earlier this week as well, and we asked him this question. I want to get your take on it also. When you look at the AFC South of where it is, a lot of arguments are made that, well, yeah, Jacksonville's getting all these roses and flowers because they made the divisional round and came back against the Chargers in the wildcard round, but they're only there by mere inches with how the South played out in the final game of the season last year. When you look at the division, in your mind, are the Titans closer to Jacksonville or closer to where the Colts and Texans are in terms of how this season might play out?
4: I think they're closer to Jacksonville. I, I, I've said a couple times, the offensive line, that's the big thing. Um, Nicholas Petit for a right tackle, starting right tackle, second-year right tackle, six-game suspension for gambling. So right now they may sign George Fant here soon, but that's a problem. They've done a lot of shuffling. And, you know, Andre Dillard, we're going to find out if he's a starting left tackle in the NFL. I think it will be an upgrade over Dennis Daly last year, but how much? I think the defense is pretty good, though. Uh, and, and Jeffrey Simmons has a long-term deal, and Harold Landry is coming back. You got to keep the expectations, you know, reasonable for a guy coming off an ACL. But they have good pieces. And Nico Autry continue. I mean, when Autry and Simmons are healthy, they're they're a problem for people. And I think they're going to be good, maybe better than that, on defense. And I like, like I said, I like the skill group potential now with Hopkins. So yeah, I mean. I, I mean, the Titans were there, and they were a bad play away from beating Jacksonville on the road to still win the division with Joshua Dobbs, who'd been in town for 10 days at quarterback. I mean, I think it's I think it's a little closer than people realize, and I think it'll be a pretty decent race.
1: So, Joe, I have to ask because I find this topic fascinating. The Colts usually get beat up by the Titans. That's usually how it happens. And I just picture Jim Irsay being so upset because I know it bothers him. That Mike Vrabel and his team just seems to out-tough him every year. Or so I'm going to put you on the spot: Do the Colts beat the Titans in one of these two games, whether it's here or in Nashville?
4: Who? That's yeah, such a great question. The hard part for me is, I mean, first of all, like I'm just obviously just fascinated, you know, by Anthony Richardson. and I think he could be amazing. I, mean, I saw him live one time last year. It was in Knoxville. And that day, I'm like, I mean, are we sure he's not the number one pick? He was unbelievable that day. And, of course, he wasn't every day. Yeah. We all know that. So there are going to be ups and downs. But I could certainly see an up in one of those games. I mean, I, I think there's a, a definitely a good chance the Colts get a split. Um, I guess right now, would I pick it? I'd probably not pick it. But I'm intrigued by it, and I'm definitely
1: not ruling it out. I'm just curious because – a cop-out. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's it's fine because I'm just curious because it it seems like no matter who is available for the Titans, they just win ugly when it comes to the Colts. And I just picture Jim Irsay just picking up a chair and like just screaming in in, in agony when that happens. And so um, it'll be fun to see what kind of goes down. And obviously there's a lot of moving parts, I think, in this division that makes it enticing. But do you think that it's still, like, on paper at least, the Jaguars' division to lose? Like, is it theirs because of what they've done with Trevor Lawrence and the progress they've made?
4: Yeah, I mean, they'd be my pick still. I mean, yeah, I think it's going to be a race between the uh, Jaguars and Titans. But, yeah, I'd have to pick – Uh, the Jags you know I I don't know like how is is Trevor Lawrence going to become a great cornerback? you know I don't know but obviously he had the lost rookie year with all the 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 circus going on there and Doug Peterson's a good coach and obviously did a lot with him so I mean you had Calvin Ridley to that group you know they, they did have some losses up front but I I think uh I think they're the favorite but uh you know I I don't think yeah I think You know, I think there has been a little bit too much, like just assuming they're going to walk cakewalk to the vision. I don't think that's going to happen.
0: Joe, do you think that assumption is made because they look at Jacksonville and see what could be another great coach to quarterback pairing around the NFL? Or do you think it's they look at Tennessee and think, well, they kind of crashed and burned last year, and what have they really done outside of Hopkins to? stay afloat within that conversation is it more on the titans or is it more on the jaguars for why that assumption is made league-wide
4: i think it's more on the titans i mean i think some people think that about the jags but look i've looked around i mean our guy dane brugler i think he has the titans picking like third you know he does that early mock draft right. point where i'm like dang you think they're just gonna be trash um <laughs> I think bill barnwell me i think had him like as the 30th best roster and i and i just i think i think people are a little bit off you know i think the Titans, you know, it's not – I'm not trying to make excuses, but the injuries have been absolutely absurd the last year. Now, maybe that's just a matter of you got to move on to some different players, and in some cases they did. But, you know, they lost seven straight games. Their, their owner fires the GM in the middle of the season. That did have an impact. Simmons was playing some weeks, but he was not Simmons. Autry missed time and was not Autry. And Tannehill, you know, they're 6-6 six and six with Tannehill, and they're 1-4 and four without him. Um so I think they're a little better than people give them credit for. Uh, and, it, and some of it is – you know, now, granted, Vrabel also loses some head scratches, but he has a knack, especially defensively. I mean, look at what he's able to do consistently against Patrick Mahomes in that offense. It doesn't make sense, but he's got – in the Jacksonville game at the end of last year, he's got a knack, especially with a defensive game plan in a particular game, to get his team to overachieve pretty consistently. So I think that's part of it, too.
1: So, Joe, I'm going to throw one last one at you. It's a very unique question, and I had this debate weeks back with these guys. So, let's say injuries are turned off. You get 100 tries in an Oklahoma drill against Derrick Henry. <laughs> How many times are you getting him on the ground? Oh, <laughs> oh! Absolutely zero.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, basically, it's like almost like dive to a spot and grab his foot and twist. But like, I don't think that's gonna work. Yeah, yeah. I'll say zero
1: oh man that's always just a phone thank like for that. turning
4: injuries off because it's,
1: probably- <laughs> it's like yeah <laughs> you got people who're like yeah i'll get them on but like, i still don't think i would have a chance but i'm looking forward to seeing it this year and i'll say this and this is an inside joke for me and you uh make sure you keep up with the airpods
4: <laughs> exactly oh man you're my mvp still yeah <laughs> all, right.
1: all right you have a good one joe
4: thanks joe you too thanks guys appreciate it
1: all right, that was Joe Rexro covers the Titans for The Athletic. And to let everyone in on the joke. Last year when he was in Indianapolis, I was one of the last guys in the press box, and I get a message from him on Slack, and he's like, hey, I need you to you know, check and see if I left my AirPods there. And I'm like, sure, Joe. And I hadn't even met the guy, like, really yet? Sure. And so I was on this great venture to get his AirPods back to him before he left Indianapolis
0: very heroic and, and selfless of you. Look at you being a good Oh, it was good, not very selfless. Teammate. I was thinking, this guy so responsible. What is <laughs> oh, he doing? But <laughs>
1: wait. Oh, wait, did you find them? I did find them. You know, I, I was not. I thought to myself, hmm, these are some nice AirPods. <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't bought my own yet, but no, I would never steal from him. But no, that was pretty funny just that I was lucky enough to be there. But getting back to the real topic, I thought what he was saying about Derrick Henry, like being deserving of this but just not getting it is indicative. And it kind of encapsulates – What we've been talking about. Because if he's not going to get paid or people are looking at him and still saying he's not doing enough, then what can you do? Because he's been durable, consistent, and great year in and year out.
0: See, but here's my issue with this. He did get paid. He got got paid on that second contract, like people say, not to do. And now, with Derrick Henry next year, he is more towards – Because he is an old back, like he's an old, I don't mean old in age, he is that too, but the way he plays is very old style.
1: Oh, okay, I agree with that, yeah.
0: Like was just outlined by Joe to the point that now he's really getting towards that 30-year-old mark where it's like backs like that inevitably will break down. Like that's no longer a a hot take opinion, that is playing the percentage odds that it is more likely when a back like Derrick Henry hits 30 and beyond he's going to have a career threatening injury.
1: But Derrick Henry's made a vibranium.
0: <laughs> <I know>. So <laughs> what are we
1: talking about Stratto here? But Wakanda, no. yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, I'm serious. Yeah. The guy is very durable. You make a great point, and he is, I think he
0: is and you made that point too. Yeah. Like it, he, he's proven over time that he is durable, but
1: yes. and to piggyback on what you said about being him him being an old school running back, the ceiling on your team if that's your approach is capped. No. Because As Joe mentioned, they were the number one seed a few years ago, but everyone knew it didn't matter because they didn't have the quarterback that would get you over the top. And again, I mean, it's not rocket science. You have a great running back. When you get to the postseason, there's going to some defense that is good enough is going to stack the box and just force you to throw and do what you're not good at, and eventually knock you off. Obviously, it's harder to scheme against the team that has a quarterback that can pick you apart and then sort of force your hand that way.
0: The old adage is you need to be able to run the football in January, right? Yeah. Well, a lot of that is based on. You need to be able to run the football, but also have such a balanced attack where they can't do that, where they can't just be stacking the box and solely focus on your running game. Or you have a running back that's also able to be involved in the passing game. And with the Titans, like yes, he Joe's right. There was as much hype as ever, or as any living Titans fans can remember going into that 2020 season for the Titans because Derrick Henry just had the year that he had. And it was thought that this is another great Titans team that is finally going to be able to go over the hump. Only problem was they didn't have the most important position figured out, at least at an elite level. Tan Hill's not that he's never been that we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll revisit the signing of Melvin Gordon by the Baltimore Ravens, the other free agent running backs that are available right now, where their market value is and, and why it is a, a picture of reality for where running backs in their late 20s are viewed by the rest of the league. We'll get into that when we come back on the Fan Midday Show. Jamming in the DriveHumor.com studios, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison with us as well. Final non-Colts-related day in terms of the countdown to training camp is finally here. We're closer and closer to days day spent at Grand Park and the debut of a new bucket hat by one James Boyd. Did, did you clarify for us there's no logos just it just is a plain white it's plain What's the black here? black okay. and gray okay. got a
1: Nike symbol on it just a Nike um, I believe it's like a golf I don't know if it's golf or fishing or whatever but it is built to last. So I'm ready. Have
2: Interesting, you, used- you went with the dark color. It absorbs the heat.
1: I did, but you know what? I, I, I'm very adamant about this. I do not like wearing lighter clothes that will inevitably get like sweat stains and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. So I, I wash the hat, sure. but it's like ah, yeah. I was like, ah, do I want to ring around my head every day? No. Um, so I'm with the darker color, Wait, but
2: your fine. melon, your melon sweat a lot.
1: Um, yeah, honestly, yeah. yeah. I, I, when I when it starts, it, 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 it's like you pour some water on me. So for
2: me, it's my it's my forearms. Forearms are always the
1: first. Yeah, I mean, I, we'll, we'll see how it goes this, this year. I'm, I'm more prepared. I got sunscreen. You know, I'm thinking about my game plan sure. a lot more than I did last year when it was just like, oh, you're done with the NBA, go to the NFL. I was like, all right. And I walked out there and I was like, this is not climate controlled. <laughs> what am I doing? This is like the wilderness. There is no AC. Yeah. What is this? So, <laughs> a very big adjustment that I'm obviously, again, more prepared for this year.
0: So have you thought about from a like incentivized standpoint, Offering the athletic to put a decal, an athletic decal on on the hat, mm. perhaps. I mean, I'm just, just you know what? Out I have to here. talk
1: to my editor sure. and our design team about me becoming the new athletic model. There you go for hey. all things you know athletic apparel. So we'll see. But for now, it is me investing in my own bucket hat. And, and hopefully I can get recouped um, by the company. We'll see. Hey, That's
0: where it starts. You make the statement, and then you hope that the company <laughs> sees it, and then, then rewards you for it. We had mentioned a little bit earlier in the program that Melvin Gordon was able to come to terms with a $3.1 million deal with the Baltimore Ravens. Also should be noted, former Colt al Muhammad, who was reported to be visiting the Jets a little bit earlier today, has reached an agreement with the Indianapolis Colts. So he will return. He started 17 games in 2021, and I think about 15 games last year for the Bears. So he's back within the trenches of the Colts. Reaction on that? I mean, again, what you're looking for, as much depth as you can along the defensive line, particularly on the outside. And I mean, again, it's it's one of those where, with where we're at in the season, fine with it. He's available. And it's a depth piece at this point, I'd say.
1: Yeah, low risk. You know, and obviously one of the things that Gus Bradley alluded to was that he wants to be able to keep these guys fresh throughout the game and rotate them in. Mm -hmm. So is this someone who's going to play or start for this team? Probably not. He will play, though, and get a decent amount of snaps to get in there, keep everybody fresh. That way when it gets down to nitty-gritty and it's winning time in the fourth quarter, your top guys are fresher and you feel more um, secure in their approach and what you're able to do defensively. So it makes sense.
0: The other signing, again, was Melvin Gordon and the Baltimore Ravens. And it brings us back to what's going to happen with running backs once they either are waived outright by their team or once they finally reach free agency at a point where they still have, at least in their mind, years and mileage left to give to an NFL offense. Dalvin Cook's the biggest name where it's like he had a very strong campaign a year ago and you would think he's the type of candidate where a team that feels like they're in contention for not just a playoff spot, but could potentially make a run at the Super Bowl, would be interested in acquiring him. The one side of the coin is, well, maybe teams look at him and his own evaluation or his agent's evaluation is too rich right now. And if an injury happens during camp, maybe he's a signing there. You see that a lot with free agents that are still there. Maybe the money's not right or the opportunity's not right. Injuries inevitably happen at training camp and the opportunity is there. The other angle is that, maybe just internally with where he's at, he isn't liking at all the price points that are out there for him. Spot rack has him at an 8.7 per year annual evaluation on their end. As for a running back again, that's 27 years old that went healthy <laughs> is viewed as a top back in this league. And that's where it'd be. If it was probably a fair negotiated contract, I see it more in the, the 5 to $7 million range if I'm a team right now that's looking to get him on the cheap. I don't know if he would go for that, but that is a far cry from, and the larger issue from where running backs feel they are devalued in this league, is that a back like Dalvin Cook, tw- not north to 30, 27 years old, and there's no team and there's no contract for him right now.
1: There's no gas to cook with. For Dalvin Cook. (laughs) Seriously, there's just no fish grease, no nothing. No. I mean, he's at a point where he's at the mercy of other teams, and then the longer this wait goes on, you realize that the market that you thought you might have even had after being cut just isn't there, so he's going to end up playing for a lot less money, and it's no fault of his own, which must be, in my opinion, the most frustrating part. You go out, you perform at a high level, and you're not – Valued after you're quote-unquote um, used up in a sense. And so I think all of us can sort of relate to that from a job standpoint. Right. You want to go out and do your job, do it well, and be considered one of the best in the league with the Pro Bowl nods and the 1,000-yard seasons and then not feel like you've done enough to then be rewarded monetarily. Because I don't care what anybody says. You work to get paid and you, and you hope to get paid more. Throughout your career, and for someone to still be in his twenties, and as my dad always says, twenty anything is young. You can do it, you can do it anything if you're young. You're twenty, so it, we're treating the guy like he's 38 instead of 28 or 37 instead of 27. But that's what it is. And if you're not a rookie or a first second year guy on a rookie deal, your value is obviously very 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 different than it would be if you were on that rookie deal and you were still in your quote unquote prime. The problem with running backs is we've said all week, and we're not, you know, geniuses for saying this because everyone else is saying it as well, and it's true. Your prime is when you're on that rookie deal. Yeah. And so it's just a frustrating thing for them, but it is indicative of that position. It's just how quickly you might decline. We talked about the outliers like a Derrick Henry, but that's one, you know, I would say in a generation, because of how durable and how big the guy is, and that's a guy who could potentially be a hall of famer and that just isn't the case for every single running back that comes through as we see most of the time the top guys i did not even throw i throw a name out there that i was kind of going through doing some i guess nerding out about football do you remember demarco murray mm-hmm. for the cowboys and yep. how great he was yep. in like 2014 flashing the plan after that done so that's that's usually more likely of what's to happen now For some of these guys, it might be two or three years, but the case is, it's never like you're going to be dominant, durable, available, and give us 10 touchdowns a year for like a decade. That just doesn't happen. Dalvin Cook,
0: sixth in total rushing yards a year ago, 27 years old, waived to save $9 million in cap space. Now, I I get it from the Vikings' perspective, and this was outlined from us, from John Krasinski a little bit earlier in the show. Right,
1: because he wasn't surprised by it. Which is that I don't know that
0: Cook's game and it was evident a handful of times last year fits the style of offense that Kevin O'Connor and company are building out there in Minnesota. So it makes sense from that point but you would think for the sixth leading rusher in the National Football League and that's just one metric near the top in touchdowns near the top in longest rush like he has that big breakaway ability like you want to see at a game wrecking running back. You would think we saw it
1: (laughs) <laughs> last season.
0: <laughs> you saw it firsthand. <laughs> you would think with that type of ability, even though he's had a little bit of injury history in the past as well, only being twenty seven years old, I'm not even talking about getting a big payday from him. I'm talking about I'm surprised that the first name off the list of running backs signed this week over the last two weeks, even if it is a six million dollar gap in salary, is Melvin Gordon, Dalvin Cook still out there.
1: Yeah. But I do think we could see Dalvin Cook land with a team that is still in contention for something. And so perhaps that's part of the weight. But as John pointed out, there should be, at least in my mind, if you can get him at a really discounted rate, why wouldn't you? If you feel like you're a team that could make a run, like Miami, for example, like John brought up, they're a team that ideally if tua is healthy which again is a whole other topic if he's healthy they have the pieces there to be like mm-hmm. a dark horse candidate that could you know make it to a championship game or something like that
2: i like how you pointed to the yards and the touchdowns uh, the part that i think teams don't look at or, or looking at jimmy that you didn't look at what's that yard for carry it's gone down you sure. had five, then four, seven, uh, four, four. Sure. Sure. And here's the thing: if you remove that one big run, his yards per carry is four point one. Sure. Well, how about
1: I remove your one big run? I'm joking. No, it's 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 a I'm, valid
2: point. Valid point. And like, if you see efficiency starting to drop off, and this guy has an injury history, to me, I'm no thanks.
1: No thank you. No, but he finally played every game last sure. year. Yep. And
0: Blue man. So, blind wh- squirrel. <laughs> I mean, not the whole body of his career. Like, yes, he's had injuries sandwiched in there, but also when he's been out there, he's been one of the best running backs in football. I don't disagree with you on the regression of yards per carry. A really good old which, line. Is, which is why... Okay, and that's fair, but that's the same argument you make right now, and maybe you are making that about Jonathan Taylor. Like, uh, I, could eas- I could easily point, if you wanted to, to 2021 and say it's yeah. an anomaly year because he was against a great, highly paid offensive line and happened to have the best year in football.
2: Per my blog on 107fethefame.com. Same for Josh Jacobs. Sure. Woo.
0: Again. That is like where Eddie coming in with the receipts. And that is where the running back conversation has shifted. That is the mark against Ezekiel Elliott getting paid when he did by the Cowboys. Because, again, generational offensive line. They paid him. Offensive line starts to regress. He was never the same
1: running back. So what you're saying is JT should be yelling at the offensive line as to why he hasn't got an extension yet. I mean, bingo.
0: <laughs> that's I mean, a large part of it. He, again, had injuries last year, too, right. that helped him out or kept him out of play. But, yes, that's a part of it.
1: But, again, that's a factor. It well, not never... And that's he'll, the whole offense, yeah, right? He'll, yeah, he'll never come out and say this publicly because who would? But there is definitely a part of that being a factor in his production, but at the end of the day, like I keep saying, a team is never going to say well, yeah, there's some excuses, so we'll just give you... No, they're going to be like, well, you didn't produce. Bottom line. And it's always at least, especially in the NFL, it is what have you done for me lately? And lately, the most latest or most recent season is that JT wasn't dominant.
0: And again, as we step aside... Eddie's right, which is why the money has changed in terms of market value. You need to take into account yards per carry. That, that absolutely matters. But that's a conversation where I'm not saying Dalvin Cook is going to get the money that he's made. I'm going to say the way that he still plays right. this game, even if it was by committee in a system like that, if you're paying a team-friendly deal of a 5 or $6 million contract, which ultimately I think that might be on the high end for what a team goes for him, barring an injury at training camp, You wouldn't be mad about adding a depth piece in rotation, depending on if you had the luxury to take that swing like a Miami, like a team that feels like they're very, very close. We're going to step aside. Still to come, we'll have a conversation with Pat Leonard. We'll get the Giants' perspective on all this. Again, a lot of moving parts within the running back conversation for how it impacts Jonathan Taylor, how it impacts the Colts, and the league wide issues that are at hand. Josh Jacobs was our conversation earlier. Saquon Barkley is our conversation a little bit later in the show here on the Fan Midday Show. Silicon a conversation with Pat Leonard covers the Giants and all things New York sports for the New York Daily News as the running back drama continues around the National Football League and a chart that was discussed a little bit yesterday making the rounds on ESPN was the way that the franchise tag has separated among the two position groups of note which is running back and wide receiver over the last six seasons alone. It was only like a three or four million dollar range between where things were in 2017 to the gap that's near now of nearly $10 million. And a large part of that has to do with, as the cap increases, we talk about all the time with the NBA and how all the money's relative, as the cap continues to increase in these sports, so too are the size of these contracts, the year over year evaluation, and in some cases the guaranteed money. But the conversation that we had yesterday about looking at this from a percentage of the cap Uh, It was a great conversation that we had in regards to where the numbers are in the NBA right now is maybe it's a larger figure, but percentage of the cap wise, it's not that different from what superstars of a decade ago underneath similar salary cap constraints were looking at. And I think that's also a high value way of looking at it, James, from the NFL side of things, where as the cap continues to increase and the revenue sharing continues to increase on TV rights deals. This needs to be a look at the lens of what percentage of the cap are you taking up versus the amount of money that you're making. It goes in that natural progression. Wide receivers see the pay increase because of how valued they are around the league. The running backs have seen the short end of the stick because they aren't as valued in terms of team build, building because they can be manipulated more with the tag. Yeah,
1: yeah, I completely agree. I think that... <laughs> I forgot to turn the mic on. Sorry about that. It's all right. But um, I agree when it comes to looking at the value of the running back and even just now i'm looking at pro football reference comparing jt to josh jacobs and a lot of their stuff is very comparable when it comes to um, receptions rush yards, rush attempts the amount of uh yards they have on receptions and things like that so all that to say you can kind of see why jt sees the writing on the wall and feels like it's this inevitable thing that he can't change like he's voicing his opinion now which again it isn't a huge huge deal because he isn't up for an extension just yet as far as you know having one year left on his deal however there's still just that thing in the back of his mind it has to be in the back of his mind that no matter what I do this season they're going to as Saquon said they're gonna you know screw me over so to speak and again we don't know exactly what Chris Ballard is thinking what JT is thinking well I'm going to ask, if no one else does, um, or if, not, if I'm not the first person to, we're going to ask Tuesday when we talk to Chris Ballard at training camp about the JT situation, about running backs, about Michael Pittman Jr. We'll see what he says. He's not going to say anything of value, I don't think, because the GMs kind of hold your cards we're to We're working the test, through that. But
2: we're working through that. What do you think? We're working through that.
1: <laughs> I mean, that'll be it for the most part. That'll be his response, and that'll be – you know uh, they're great players. We like having them here. Yada yada yada. But yeah, we love JT. Yeah, we got to ask though because yep. I'm sure the Raiders love Josh Jacobs and the Giants love Saquon Barkley, but we don't love you enough to give you what you want. We love you enough to give you what we want. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. there's uh, some tough love, I would say, being involved in not even contract negotiations. A great player.
0: <laughs> Is there a scenario?
1: I can't do a Chris Ballard voice. I'm sorry. I mean,
0: I can't either. I'm just. He's throwing out the lines. Yep. Get the dialogue <laughs> out there. There's not a scenario in my mind anyway, because of the amount of stress and the amount of questions that'll continue to be amplified, not just in Jonathan Taylor's case, but also with Michael Pittman Jr. and with Grover Stewart all year long, that there's not some extension that gets done before the season. Or you're in that same camp, correct? Maybe you're not. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but <sighs> I don't I feel know. Like it Jimmy. would surprise me a ton if there's not at least one of these contract right. year players on an extension that's agreed to before the season right. starts.
1: Right. Let's just keep it at, I guess, the top guys. I mean, if Grover Stewart gets extended, great, but it's sure. not something that's going to be sending waves throughout the league or throughout the division like that. Um, I think that'll be more of just.
0: Eddie will be hyped. And yeah, what mean, about
1: door number three here that we haven't talked about yet?
2: Like, I mean, what if they extended Pittman and. They have the option to use the tag on Taylor or Big Grove, and it's on Big Grove.
1: All right. They're not going to tag. Christmas. I'm just saying. Gonna, all right. Like, let's we stay in the realm explore, of, We have to
2: explore all options here.
1: <laughs> no, we don't have to explore that at all, because you're exploring something in Never Neverland. Or they,
2: or they tag Pittman and extend Grove, and next thing you know, Taylor's out
1: there are we in Indianapolis or Narnia? Like, what, what is going on? Like, That is not something that listeners, please tune Eddie out right now. That is not going to happen. Hey, I'm just saying at all. And for my sanity here. and my writing purposes, please do not throw a monkey wrench at me like that. I'm no. just preparing you for what's about to happen. Oh, goodness gracious. No. <laughs> Gotta but, get it on top of mind. <laughs>
0: Eddie enjoys chaos and anarchy as much as the next
1: one. Yeah, when he doesn't oh, have yes. to cover it. That's the nope. thing. That's nope. the thing that I realized when I got into the media space is like, oh, when all these trades and uh, signings go down in free agency nope. or the trade deadline rolls around your life is not as fun when you're the person who has to report these things and make sure that they're you know valid and true now I digress getting back to the point I think that with um JT it'll if I'm the team I'm not feeling like I have to necessarily chase after um an extension and I'm not sure if one gets done for either player because again I don't know how much Michael Pittman Jr. wants to be here and I'm not saying he wants out. I'm just saying he hasn't been very like outwardly um, about it as JT, who said he wants to retire here. You've gave
0: us the statements that he's made. I mean, what do, do they you, sound like to you? Well, I'm asking you. A guy you're who there. knows
2: the bag that he's about that, to that, get.
0: That's my question. Is he just playing it cool because he knows everything's <laughs> going to work itself out, or is there a real feeling of, I don't want to be here?
1: I think it's the former, where you want to play it out, yeah. get the much money as you can, because he doesn't seem like he's disgruntled and wants like completely out of Indy. No.
0: Yeah. When you end up disgruntled, you wind up with a lack of negotiations going the way you want them to, and then ultimately, the tag winds up on your doorstep. (laughs) That's what happened with Saquon Barkley. We'll discuss that, where things are at in New York with Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News when we come back here on The Fan. This is such a jam. It is.
1: In any way. (laughs) Is it by Aerosmith, Jimmy? Oh, goodness. We won't go down whatever Sorry. route Eddie's going on. but you're There's a troll to under a
0: bridge behind the board. I know. Jimmy Cook, know. James Boyd here.
1: on <laughs> 107.5, the fan, the midday show. We've been talking about contracts and running backs and franchise tags all week, all day. It won't change because obviously we're on Jonathan Taylor watch for the next year or so unless an extension gets done. But one guy who would know a lot about this whole narrative and landscape is... Oh, we actually lost Pat Leonard from he New just York Daily News. Just but for we will get him, I promise you. Before we – I guess we get him on the phone. We talked about Saquon's comments and how they might have hurt him. But I'm not sure if they did, Jimmy, because did he have any leverage to begin with? It, yeah. Is it – I don't think it rubs his teammates the wrong way. I don't think it rubs anybody and upper management the wrong way. It probably doesn't help but I don't think it hurts as much as people are saying, like, oh my gosh, he doesn't to get money now. He wasn't gonna get it before.
0: Yeah. And I mean so, he, he made those comments as well before the contract negotiations failed. It was still a couple days beforehand.
1: All right, so we do have Pat now. I'll blame Eddie for that. Pat, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Glenn and i right. blame the producer. I- always. You know, I'm like, I'm not bad. That, that's I'm what not, he's there for, man. I reached out to Pat. I just, <laughs> you know, I shooted the text or or message in the DMs. I did my job. But Pat Leonard covers the Giants for the New York Daily News and obviously is an NFL columnist as well. So, Pat, when it comes to this whole – I don't even want to call it a saga. It's just a situation that I feel like is very clear to understand. But – um Where does Saquon stand on all of this, and do you expect to see him at all before the season starts?
5: Yeah, James, I I don't expect to see him before the season starts. Uh, I'm questioning whether he'll actually hold out, but we'll get there. But where he stands is, you know, he feels like he's worth even more than what he was asking for. Now, you and I and others can debate of whether he is as good of a full package back as a guy like Christian McCaffrey or Avin Kamara. And where does he fall when you talk about Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Derrick Henry, and these other high-paid backs? But Saquon believes he's the full pack- package and also understands that if he doesn't maximize his value now on this second contract, that he's certainly not going to do it on his third. And so, you know, being 26 years old already and feeling like he did a lot for the Giants as a player on the field, as a representative of their organization, as a teammate, as a guy who's played through injury. At the end, he felt disrespected by offers that frankly, in my opinion, were not... like Most people, I think, on the outside probably think this was like Saquon getting low-balled and him saying no. I don't think it was technically a complete low-ball from the Giants, but it certainly wasn't at the level that he felt was you know, reflective of his value.
1: Yeah. It's funny you bring that up because I think I'm worth a hundred million dollars. So um, I'm <laughs> severely <laughs> underpaid and, you know, underrated, but um, jokes aside, Pat, how much do you think the guaranteed money is a factor in these negotiations? Cause sometimes we look at just the overall number and it's like, Oh, well they offered him this, why wouldn't he accept it? But how much, and I know you probably don't know the exact details, but just being a football in the league, I would imagine that that is a big sticking point, no matter if it's Saquon, uh, Josh Jacobs, Dalvin Cook, whoever the case may be. Just that guaranteed money to make sure that you're secured, just in case, as we've seen, you get cut like a like a Dalvin Cook.
5: No doubt. And okay, so here's what I know. So the Giants, at the end before this deadline, they got into the area of twelve to twelve and a half million on average a year. And in the neighborhood of somewhere like twenty-two to twenty-five million guaranteed, right? But it's not fair to assume that that means that's fully guaranteed money Bingo. either, because because let's say nine million or no, let's say six million of the twenty-five was in per-game roster bonuses. So that's the Giants hedging on a commitment to a running back because. He has an injury history. Mm -hmm. He could get injured again very easily. So from Saquon's perspective, if he says, okay, I heard a report that I got offered 12 and a half a year and $25 guaranteed, but only 19 of it was really fully guaranteed because of this and that, that's how he gets to a point back in June where he felt like all the reports, he didn't like it because it made it look like he was accepting a contract that in and of itself, it was not fully reflective of the numbers that now everybody was parroting. And so that's what it's all about. But it's still about the average annual value, too. Because, like, for example, now no one knows what the drop-dead number was. I thought if the Giants got to $13 average annual annual value, that was going to get it done. I don't think their final offer got there. It was that in the spring. But you have to remember that as much as the guarantees matter, if he wasn't above – Twelve and a half million on average a year. He's not above Derrick Henry, who signed years ago, and therefore he's not the third highest paid back by average annual value. He's fourth or fifth or sixth, and so there's a little bit of, you know, ego, but also market value from the running backs perspective that gets taken into account there too.
0: Pat Leonard, with us, NFL columnist, Giants beat writer for the New York Daily News. Pat. Even though the comments were slightly taken out of context with some outlets on the Money Matters podcast, Saquon Barkley was laying out potential options that he would have from a leverage standpoint. And, and I understand his frustration and all of this. But from the team's standpoint, after Le'Veon Bell swing and miss to try to do this five years ago of fighting a tag when the ultimate outcome was you didn't get any of that money. Do the Giants just put their feet up and understand, look, we couldn't come to a deal, but he's going to play week one. Otherwise, the financial penalties are going to rack up. And while it impacts us, maybe from on-field production, it doesn't impact us from the cap.
5: Right. So as you just accurately said, even though everyone is interpreting that snippet from Barkley as, I'm going to hold out and go nuclear... That was very much more sounding like I know this is my option, but I don't want to do it. Right, it's more like what <laughs> yeah. he's saying, and I think the Giants looked at that as, look at all the leverage we have, and we also know Saquon knows we have this leverage because he, he wants to win more than anything, he wants to be a good teammate, he doesn't want to do it. Um, you know, so I think I think from the standpoint of how are the Giants going to react here when he doesn't show up to training camp? I think from a business perspective, they're completely comfortable with where this is and they expect him to still report when all is said and done. That said, the one thing that I would question whether they can handle, even though people might not think this is a real thing, it very much is, is the public relations nightmare of not taking care of one of your best players, of not having him there, of having the distraction of being asked every day where he is, how are you going to compensate for his absence, if teammates are upset, how does it disrupt the locker room? And if one player says one thing about how they don't like how this is going or, you know, they, they think he should be here or whatever, you know, this could really go south in a hurry for a lot of other reasons. So uh, there's a lot of reasons why the Giants wouldn't act at all here and would just say, hey, listen, we'll see you in September. But it's also easier said than done when you're kind of going through the, the dog days of camp here.
1: When you look at their decision because it looked like it came down to, are we going to tag Daniel Jones or are we going to tag Saquon? They chose Saquon, obviously, but I mean, how vital is he to this team? Saquon that is because I mean, from now to looking in Daniel Jones is a fine quarterback. I don't know if he's a franchise quarterback. They paid him like one, but someone who can take you to the promised land. So, just for devil's advocate purposes, if Saquon, let's say he isn't there when the season starts, how much does that affect the guys? They did pay a a ton of money to be a guy.
5: Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. I think it dramatically impacts Daniel and his ability to validate the contract he just got. You know, I think uh, Daniel Jones himself would be one of the first people to tell you that, you know, the run action off of Saquon's run game Uh, The threat of Saquon in the backfield, Saquon's performance in some key moments early were some of the main reasons why they got off to a great start. Now, Daniel Jones made plays there too, but uh, so far, you know, can you sit there and say definitively that Daniel can put this offense on his shoulders without a top number one receiver that we know of around the league, like a guy like Justin Jefferson, um, you know, or a guy like Stephon Diggs at his peak in Buffalo or Jamar Chase with Cincinnati, or even A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith in Philadelphia with that tandem, Daniel hasn't done that yet, right? He hasn't put it on his shoulders as a passer. So um, that's why I do think that, you know, frankly, I think both Saquon and the Giants were foolish at the end of this. I think Saquon kind of gave up an opportunity to get some security, even though it wasn't the money he thinks he deserves. And I think the Giants made a hu- took a huge risk here, and really jeopardizing building on the good feelings of last season, uh, both internally, what comes from a chemistry perspective, but also from a win loss productive perspective as
1: well.
0: Pat, you mentioned balancing the PR look of all of this, and we always talk about the old cliche that the the media market itself and the fans in New York are, are more intense and more scrutinizing than anywhere else in the country, and I think that is true to a large extent. We've seen players that wilt under it. We've seen teams wilt under it. We've seen them thrive in it as well. Who takes the bigger PR hit if Saquon does sit out some games? Is it the team because they weren't able to take care of one of their own and the fans point to them and say this could have been a situation that was avoided altogether? Or is it at Saquon because, well, the tag is part of the business, this is an element that you understand when you are a part of the NFL, why aren't you out there?
5: Yeah, I think they both lose there, honestly. I mean, I you know, Saquon, I know one thing that he did not appreciate was not only the numbers getting leaked and he felt like, oh, it makes me look greedy when the deal isn't really what you're saying it is that I turned down. It's also there's a good segment of the Giants fan base now that has taken the team's side in this. And that's something that Giants fans really kind of as a group are known for is kind of trusting that the team's doing the right thing and, you know, riding with the team's side. And Saquon is the most popular You know, current giant from a jersey sales perspective, from a recognizability perspective, Q rating, right? What are they... When they sell season tickets, he was always the guy. Yeah, so I'm
1: like, they're not, him, so they're not putting him, they're not putting DJ on a lot of these posters. <laughs> you, he, could, he could walk down the street here in Indianapolis, and I guarantee you, the only reason someone would think he's an athlete is because of his height. But no, Saquon <laughs> Barkley is, by, by and large, the, the selling of the tickets and things, it is Saquon, but I'll let you continue. No, just throw yeah, it
5: out yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But that's what's so curious and interesting about this whole process is first of all, the fans have started to say, yeah, we don't want to pay a running back anymore. We like this new front office. Number two, while this negotiation kind of got more contentious, the Giants pulled Saquon off all of their promotional material. Like, when they when they put their season ticket stuff out, when they put, here comes training camp, you know, it's Daniel Jones, it's Dexter Lawrence, it's Xavier McKinney, it's Aziz Ojalari. You know, it's guys without even national profiles, and Saquon's not on it. So, They have created, the team has helped create kind of this movement of we're going to keep moving on without you, even if it's been subtle um, from that perspective. And so they're both going to lose here because the Giants will lose not having him representing them and helping him, but he'll lose from the standpoint of is he going to be able to stay relevant if he's not on the field, especially if the Giants are steering things away from anybody even paying attention to him.
1: Yeah, I'm very curious, and as all things do in football, winning usually absolves or, or smooths over a lot of these things, but goodness gracious, the Giants better be right about Daniel Jones because if <laughs> if they aren't, we're talking about the fan base. Oh, they're taking their side now. Oh, but we know fan bases, Pat. They switch in sway very yeah. quickly depending on how the win-loss column looks because if they come out and, again, Saquon is there, not there, whatever, but their wins aren't there, and, and Daniel Jones – you know, regresses or doesn't build in the season he just had, and you gave him that boatload of money, and you're tied to that, oh, man, it's going to be interesting in New York for sure. But yeah. I want to pivot away from those guys and checking on some guys that Colts fans are very familiar with. How are Bobby O'Carriquet and Paris Campbell adjusting to life um, with the Giants?
5: Oh, good question. Yeah, so uh, Paris was actually nice enough to come on my uh, podcast, Talking Ball with Pat Leonard on the Believe Network, in June – and he was what first of all, great guy, super candid and honest about you know his time in Indianapolis, uh, how difficult it was kind of battling through injuries, how he nearly retired, I believe, after he said the yeah. second season, and um, also was extremely um, complimentary of Matt Ryan in helping him kind of reboost his confidence and get himself feeling that he could be the player he once was again. Uh, Campbell is going to be, as long as he's healthy and on the field, I think a big part of their plans here. I think da- Brian Dable has shown that he really wants Daniel Jones to have some catch and run options. Uh, so Paris can give them that out of the slot. They showed him at running back, um, on the last practice of their mandatory mini camp. That's something he can do too. So, uh, you know, he's going to be a huge part of things. I know there was a, there was a practice where Daniel hit him for three straight completions. And then O'Karake, you know, I'm actually really interested by this one because the Giants obviously paid him big money, but it was to play more the will linebacker position and, you know, blitz also helping coverage. But now their middle linebacker, Jared Davis, is out for the season after having surgery. And O'Karake sounds like a guy who, while he has played in the middle, does not sound like he wants to. And it doesn't sound like the Giants want him to either. Like, I think they have a really defined idea of what he's going to be for them. So I know they're working out some guys today, I believe. And um, I wonder, though, if okarake is going to be kind of forced into maybe playing the middle – uh, more often than they originally intended because of their lack of depth there.
1: You mentioned Paris Campbell lining up at running back, and I'm like, don't do it! Don't do it! <laughs> but I mean, obviously the versatility helps him, but I was just thinking to myself, like, oh Lord, I know he's probably thinking, hey, just let's make this a big thing, because even with, like, I got, like, Debo Samuel out in uh, San Francisco. He I believe, more rushing touchdowns than receiving touchdowns last year, but I'm sure he would not want to be labeled a running back because of what's going on with them. But always yeah, good to yeah. check in with those guys, and I'm glad to hear about Paris. He is one of those guys where, um, Pat, he's – you know, you don't root for players and teams, but, like, as a human being, he's pretty easy to root for. Bobby's a great guy. as Well, but Paris in particular, stand-up guy, win, lose, or draw. I'm sure he'll be easy to talk to in the locker room because I'll, I'll admit – After last season, what we dealt with here in Indianapolis and all the changes, (laughs) there were a lot of mics in his face after every single game. And to his credit, he never, like, you know, ducked away in the shower, never took too long. Like, he stood there and answered questions that probably he shouldn't have been answering. So hopefully he'll get, you know, uh, some stability up there in New York and I knew when uh, before he left he was really excited at least when I talked to him about being paired up with Brian Dable and what could happen in that offense just scheme wise he's like man this guy sounds like he could you know, basically get me open and I'm excited to you know, uh, capitalize on that and he's on a one year type of prove it deal too so we'll see how it goes. Yeah
5: no that's cool to hear and uh, honestly no you're right I mean like yeah you're supposed to be objective in this job and you are as far as teams go but I always tell people like you do root for individuals. You do meet people and guys and players and coaches and executives who really do things the right way, treat people right. And um, I've only met him a few times so far, but I can already see he's that kind of guy.
0: Pat, when you look at the NFC in the national conversation that it's as weak as it's ever been, it's very top heavy and it's really a race to see if it's going to be the Eagles, the Vikings, the Niners, I guess maybe the Cowboys because they're thrown in there by proxy every year that are going to represent the conference. (laughs) where, Where do the Giants see their opportunity amongst the rest of the NFC and is it as clear cut top heavy when you look at it team by team?
5: Well, real quick, I'll answer it. But what do you guys think? Because I want to know what somebody, you know, in Indianapolis thinks of this. Thing.
1: I, I I I do view it that way, minus the Cowboys. I was going to say uh, <laughs> Eagles. 49ers run it back. That's how I see it unfolding. (laughs) I do not believe in the Cowboys. And Dak Prescott, God bless you for even saying you're not going to throw 10 interceptions because if you do, they're going to crush you for that. You should have never said that at all. And then the Vikings, I just don't think that Kirk Cousins is a guy that can get them over the top. So I do think it's really top-heavy. And again, I think Daniel Jones would looked otherworldly against the Colts last year, but he's not going to, in my opinion, do that every single game.
5: Right. So, yeah, I think... I think the Giants finished third in the division based on how we stand today. You know, they had one of the easier schedules to no fault of their own. Well, yeah, to plenty of fault of their own last year. And they took advantage of it, especially early. But they did not finish the season strong from a win-loss perspective, despite having that encouraging win against Minnesota in the wild-card round. And their schedule coming out of the gate, gentlemen, Dallas Cowboys, Cardinals, Niners, Seahawks, Dolphins, Bills – right? Like, they're they're in a position where their roster overachieved last year, and now they're coming in still having a lot of holes to fill. And in order to build on any of the positive vibes they built last season, they're going to need to beat several of the better teams in the entire league right out of the gate this season. Plus, you have the Barkley thing hanging over their heads. I do think, listen, I think the Eagles lost a lot losing Hargrave. I do think that is one of the biggest this offseason him leaving um, and going to the Niners Um, my pick at the moment would be the Niners I still don't believe they're going to go with the same quarterback dynamic they have right now but I guess I guess they are but um, I think the Giants believe that they are contenders especially if guys like Kayvon Thibodeau Evan Neal from last year's draft class both top 10 picks if they take another step and Deontay Banks their first round pick a corner out of Maryland if he can right away kind of hold his own on a defense in the secondary has a lot of question marks, but I just think the division's too strong. And, um, you know, frankly their offense is going to have to get into that upper echelon of, you know, the 27 to 30 point a, a game club that all of really the, the best teams and the real contenders can score and can do. And, you know, with their current, makeup and their inability usually to stay healthy. It's just everything would have to go right for them to get where they think they should go.
0: So over, under eight and a half.
5: Under.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I
5: got, I have them at a six or seven right now. Okay.
1: So my last one for you, Pat is week eight at home against New York jets. They have Aaron Rodgers. How do you envision that atmosphere being, assuming that both teams are doing pretty well and it's obviously one that they need to get. I just feel like the conversation obviously shifts to Aaron Rodgers, wherever he goes, but do the Giants fan base, do they feel like, okay, we got something you know, for them when they come here?
5: Right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that dynamic is super interesting in the context of everything happening, too, because remember, while the Giants now are at odds with their best player who's not going to show up to camp, the Jets are on hard knocks Everyone's talking about them. They're considered a Super Bowl contender. Aaron Rodgers is their quarterback. So the best-case scenario for the Giants is that, you know, drama starts with hard knocks. The Jets stumble out of the gate. Rodgers' calf, you know, acts up. And then the Giants beat them head-to-head in October. And like you said, they start well. They're still relevant. They take them down. So now they have New York as a football city this season, as well as the nation's attention. But the worst case scenario that's clearly in play here is that Barkley's not showing up. The Giants become irrelevant compared to the back page hogs of the New York (laughs) Jets now, who everyone wants to talk about. And then with a really, really tough schedule early, both of them do have, you're looking at the team who, you know, you, you and I know one game doesn't decide a season, but... It's a pretty short season enough where they all do matter as well. Right. So the winner of that game will be riding high, and everyone here in New York will be declaring the winner of that game a contender and the loser of that game a complete loser. I can promise you that.
1: <laughs> That's what I love about New York, man. There is no riding the <laughs> fence in that city. It is boomer bust every single time. But, Pat, thank you so much for coming on. And, again, like I told you on Twitter, great piece on Saquon that I think really – encapsulated all aspects of the situation.
5: Thank you. Yeah, no, context matters, right? So, just trying to do our (laughs) part. Thanks for having me on, guys.
1: Thanks, Pat. All right, that was Pat Leonard. Covers the Giants and is an NFL columnist for New York Daily News. Like I said, I encourage everyone listening to go read his piece on Saquon Barkley. I think if you're trying to kind of gauge what it could look like for Jonathan Taylor, it's a great sort of primer, but I find it hilarious when it comes to the New York Jets and Giants talk because it won't happen like this with Indianapolis, but can you imagine when they go to Carolina what the narrative is going to be no matter who wins that game for yep. the Colts? I mean, it won't matter in the grand scheme of things. Before that a week, Twitter is going to be amazing, and I will be there. Scroll through all of it. You'll be there, and your
0: mentions will be active. Oh well, yeah, I'm going to be instigating. You know me. I'm
1: going to be. Oh look at that, throw up Rice Young. Oh, should it, should they have traded up for him? No, I'm joking. here come my
0: eyes out of the water like a hippo. <laughs> I
1: mean, exactly. That's. It. I cannot wait. That sort of stuff outside of obviously the outcome of the game, it fires me up because it's what fandom is, right? You get to talk trash, and for, and depending on how the season goes, that week could be one where again, like Pat alluded to. Maybe your season overall doesn't go great, and maybe the Colts don't have a bunch of wins. But if they beat the Carolina Panthers, I'm sure the fan base will be ecstatic about that.
0: Eddie, you have 15 weeks and two days to come up with unique, authentic burner accounts to attack James Boyd when the Colts play the Panthers. So I'm just mapping that out for you there. All right.
2: We'll have uh, James Boyd bucket hat.
0: Um, let's see what
1: else we got here. You I got like the bucket hat. Out. I like the bucket hat one. Yep. That's pretty funny. Yep.
0: Maybe a great time of year where the bucket hat's like, James, you left me behind. I see you only needed me for, for the hot summer in Westfield. That's it. Now I, it's November. Look, you don't need see, me anymore. I have to
2: stealthily take a picture of the bucket hat yeah, at Colts
0: camp. Or, or you could have you could have some moles out there at, at camp that, oh that do the bidding goodness. for you. Take a nice picture we of the bucket hat. See. Send we it to you. We shall see.
1: As I've been telling you, I've been watching Game of Thrones. So it sounds like you're going to have your little spies all around, like we, we have birds something. everywhere. Yeah, we're oh, ready to go. Ready you
2: go. <laughs> it's like
1: men in black over here. Exactly.
0: exactly. Yep. I want to take a quick break. When we come back. We've been waiting for it all day. We're going to get James Boyd's outlook for training camp where he is most focused on the position battles that intrigue him, opportunities to step up and more. Plus, we have bets to get to as we close out your weekend or close out your weekend of the weekend with plenty on the table. Women's World Cup action. We got MLB. Nice little tease We got there. more yeah, for you within you our plays of the day. That's a little bit later. Colts camp need to know. With James Boyd, I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison with us as well. We come back on the Fan Midday Show. Well, there's certain aspects where you'd like to have some news come across the timeline in real time. Unfortunately, stars didn't line up that way. We had Pat Leonard on in the New York Daily News just a few moments ago. Podcast will be up a little bit later this afternoon, wherever you get your podcast, Search the Fan Midday Show. But veteran wide receiver Cole Beasley signs with the Giants that just a few minutes ago from Mike Garofalo. Brian Dable reunited with Cole Beasley there so he, during there his time no as an back. O.C. <laughs> that's the answer. Yeah, that's how I figured out. They're just going to line up Cole Beasley as the as the back and, and figure it out from there. <laughs> so, again, another veteran move, another veteran piece. I didn't want to get into this as much with Pat, but it, Daniel Jones isn't it for me in terms of what they paid him for, but you're forced to retain a quarterback that is stable, and, and Jones is at least that for where that franchise is. We know it's Monopoly money with quarterbacks and, again, another weapon added in there. At least a debt piece added in for the Giants as Beasley entered year 12. I'd heard that was the report right at the end of last year after he finished out with the Bills. Maybe that was it. Wait, he
2: retired. Didn't he retire? um, I thought he retired because he signed with Tampa. Then he retired, came out out of retirement, and played with Buffalo. All I know is
1: that he put a rap song out there, and it's actually a real thing. No way. It's a real thing. Oh Cole Beasley gosh. rap song
0: I gotta find it hold on I, okay. we'll, let, we'll let Eddie go to work on that and she, um, I'm upset with you that now we might have to listen to Cole Beasley drop some bars In the loosest of terms That one's on you friend. Right. You, need to, are, we, you need, are we doing you need the that Freestyle
2: on your <laughs> Oh no, there is a music video too. Hold on. Can yeah. we
0: can we just spare ourselves and get it on the rejoiner to close the show? Can we can we can we not? <laughs> well, I, would... I need
2: to listen to it to make sure there's no inappropriate words That's said. Good. There That's you good. go. Um,
0: good because I, I, I really want to get James outlook since we, we we've had him here throughout the summer. And who knows, we might have him here again during the actual ongoings post camp, but we won't have James Boyd with us because he'll be hard at work with the bucket hat armed and ready to go. And we know that the obvious answer, it's Anthony Richardson, Sinatra mentions being active on why you're not showing enough A-R, footage of him. A-R. Exactly. A-R. Instead of uh, <laughs> instead of Gardner Minshew. But for you, with everything that's gone on, the rookie quarterback battle, the Isaiah Rodgers situation, the inexperienced cornerback room. First time head coach. First time head coach. Yeah. Bre- brevy of tight ends that are going to be cut down at some point and Jonathan Taylor of it all what stands out to you the most where 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 is your focus at and where should fans focus be at the most on the early goings of camp
1: obviously it's going to be focused on Anthony Richardson he's going to be the one that draws the most attention the most ooze the most eyes the most scrutiny and rightfully so you can't get drafted that high and be the team's highest draft picks as Andrew Luck and not be under a microscope so That's part of it. I do think there should be some conversations about tempering expectations because, again, he is so talented and physically gifted and a hard worker, but it's not going to all come together tomorrow. You just hope that, as I've been saying, one of the tomorrows is the right one. And then from there, I think what I'm really looking at is, like you said, some of these position battles what does it look like when it comes to the cornerback room? Mm-hmm. Darius Rush posted something on his Instagram where he was moving around doing some drills with Jalen Jones as well, another rookie for the Colts. And I assume, based off the video, that he's healthy from the hamstring injury that kind of kept him out of OTAs and veteran minicamp. And so he should be in there in the mix as far as a potential starter. Same thing with Dallas Flowers. Obviously Julius Brent. You want to see him back from the wrist surgery. We haven't seen him since he got drafted. What does he look like Mm -hmm. when he's out there with his long frame and athletic build and what he could do on the outside? And then obviously tight end. Drew Ogletree. Will he be fully cleared to go after tearing his ACL last August? Is he someone that could but push for being that fourth tight end on the roster, assuming that they keep four. You know, is Will Mallory someone where we're going to get a first look at because he had a foot injury that kept him out. So a lot of it to me is just seeing them in action. You know, we've we've seen the tape. We've broken down the scouting reports. We've heard from all their previous coaches from college to high school. Now it's like put up or shut up. And I think this is the greatest time to do that because this is your first chance as competitors, at least the rookies that is, to compete on this stage. And there's always something in camp that sort of surprises you because I would argue last year that people didn't expect that Drew Ogletree before the injury was going to be looked like a lock to make the team yeah. and to potentially play on Sundays. And so that's what I'm looking forward to, as well as the obvious big-picture things like JT's contract extension, Michael Pittman Jr.'s contract extension, other things like that.
0: I love when we've seen it now twice – we saw with al Muhammad, who was rumored to be visiting the Jets today, and then all of a sudden he gets a contract offer, decided with the Colts. On the NBA side of things, just as an aside to our conversation on Colts camp, uh, Adrian Ronowski announced that I had a sumo- Illinois man, right there, restricted free agent. I just saw that. Staying there was in Chicago. reports that maybe like he wanted to be out or, or was was wanting to be on the move. Three years, twenty million dollars now to stay in Chicago. Agent posturing back. for the win.
1: Hey, got that back, <laughs> man. He's a, I believe he went to Morgan Park High School, so he's a Chicago through and through. Yep. So I'm sure his family is thrilled that he gets to stay there. And he's another sort of like Andrew Nimhard type, where you don't know what you're getting per se, and sure. he kind of exceeds expectations. So. Good for him, but I guess we can uh, move it back to. Yeah, what I want to go with Coast tight end room. I just I
0: figured you'd appreciate that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Anytime have yeah, an yeah, Illinois you know. man is is getting his but due. It, it gotta- also
1: pains me because they never really had the success they were supposed to have when sure. they had Kofi, when they yeah. had I.O. So we all mourn for you. don't. Everybody in
0: this room feels very bad for you. Uh, you know what? As I'll get my insane.
1: I'll get my get back at some don't point. Don't speak for me at some point.
0: Okay, I'm sorry. You felt you felt bad for Illinois. You were. You're sad about their shortcomings. No. Oh, see, okay, then then why would you Okay. You're just rubbing it in. D- D- you. you know
1: what? I'm tired of this. You guys are <laughs> tagging me right now. This is not fun. I did not sign up for to be bullied on this. So, the tight end room for me
0: is I like it when you have a set sole leader of that room, and less so by committee. Yeah. And whether it's injuries, whether it's design, whether it's no one seizing that mantle too often the last couple of years and now at its apex with seven bodies in that tight end room. Again, that number is going to come down by the time we get to the point of rosters finalization and everything. But it is a question of what does Shane Steichen prefer? Is it a clear cut tight end? Number one, that's leading and having the share of those targets and those snaps, or is it a, once again, a by committee approach? And if it's the former, and I say, once again, in terms of what we've seen from the Colts, maybe not what Shane Steichen wants to do, but if it's the former of having a clear frontline guy, I would love to see that leap from Jelani Woods, but is it Mo'ally Cox's to lose in your mind? That, that, that to me is the most fascinating dynamic of anything is of the two front runners to potentially be starting tight end, including Kyle and Granson, I suppose you can throw them, in, throw him in there as well, but I think it's Jelani Woods or Moali
1: Cox and, I would want to see that leap and want to put that trust in Woods if it was me. Yeah, you do. But again, that's one of the things where I would have preferred, obviously, to have kind of a preview of what he would look like. But he right. was out right. as well. So we will get a first look at him, assuming he's fully healthy early next week. And that's, that's one I do believe is sort of like a dark horse candidate for like a breakout season because of how Shane Steichen has prioritized tight ends in his previous offensive schemes. And just because Jelani Woods is – He has the stuff that makes him a potential dude. Mm -hmm. You need dudes in the NFL to win. And we talk about it all the time. He had a great game against Illinois, which probably helped him get drafted, and we talk about it all the time whenever I see him. He went off. It was like one of those, like, do you remember the the Randy Moss uh, Thanksgiving Day game, whatever, like three three catches, three touchdowns. He had a game against Illinois where he probably had, like, three or four catches for, like, 100-plus yards and, like, two touchdowns. We just went nuts. And... You see stuff like that, and you see flashes of it last year where he had the two big catches, you know, and the one against, you know, the game winner, where you just wonder, okay. Was that against Kansas City?
2: It <laughs> was. Okay, I just had to make sure we. It re- was. It was. How we live that? Okay. It was
1: indeed. Eddie's just going scores earth against everybody. He, he doesn't friend today. He's just like, everybody can get it. It's Friday. But, Again. You don't have
0: to see me until. What did, Wednesday. Chris, what did Chris Jones say? That's true. What did he say? Jimmy's
2: NFL? going on what vacation, so I got to get That's all, all the jobs in. That's all I want to know. We
1: could <laughs> talk about that off air because I'm like, I don't know what he's doing. Do you saying, know? Okay, you don't but, know. Okay, you don't have no, the answer know. for me I right do not now. Know. Um,
2: How'd they rule that Travis Kelsey catch a catch? Or oh, never mind. Um, all right, all right.
1: Okay. all right. Eddie, be quiet. Now, when right. it comes to, <laughs> 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 no, I'm joking. When it comes to this and. That game, obviously, as painful as it was for the Chiefs fans, who are surprisingly in Indianapolis. Nobody cares. Nobody Um, cares. It's fine. That's that sort of performance, though, is why you wonder. Just big body, big target. Right. You know, got the wheels, got the mobility, the agility. For me, I think the next step for him, because I'm sure there'll be a way to scheme him open. And he's improved as far as like route running and things like that. But can he become a better blocker, which is why he wasn't on the field maybe as much as he should have been last year or could have been last year. Granted, he had a lot to learn to keep up with. We know that he went through some tragic things with the whole Virginia football situation. But I think Jelani is a player who could be very key to this offense for years to come and a very big key to unlocking more of Anthony Richardson. Again, he's another guy. you would love to be able to say, okay, that's a tandem that's going to be here for years to come.
0: This is a big assumption, I understand that, but assuming that it is Anthony Richardson that winds up being the starting quarterback, for me, an area that intrigues me the most out of camp is we've heard all about this connection off the field, and and by off the field, I mean with their own time taking practice reps together, and a connection there between him and Josh Downs, and and expecting an impact right away from a rookie wide receiver. For me, that element of it makes him the most intriguing wide receiver, non-Michael Pittman Jr. division Going into training camp, is he that for you in terms of that room who you're most intrigued to see develop and see what they can offer both in camp and joint practices? Or is it somebody like Isaiah McKenzie, who's a veteran and a fresh face within there? Is it Alec Pierce here, too? Is it Mike Strawn who had all this hype last preseason, last training camp? And then you could point to a number of different things, but it did not translate to relevancy within the regular season? Who, who is that wide receiver for you? Because for me, it's Josh Downs going into camp. He's the one I'm most intrigued by, like a non-Michael Pittman Jr. division.
1: It's got to be Downs because he gives him a different flavor, a different feel, because I think that he's someone who could be a chain mover. That's what you need. And, and he just looks like someone, based off the tape, Now, obviously there is a significant gap between ACC football and the NFL, but ideally he's someone who, as Jim Bob Cooter the offensive coordinator alluded to could be a mismatch. You know, if you put him on a linebacker, he'll beat that linebacker. If you put him on a cornerback, he can find a way to get open. Or, or and even when it comes to understanding, you know, man coverage versus zone coverage, where to settle in in a zone, where to break off, and things like that. So he's one that I think could be huge for this offense and huge for Anthony Richardson because he can be ideally like a security blanket. Where if all else fails, we know. Yeah. Sort of like that Wes Welker role, Julian Edelman. Like he's gonna get open at some point. Like you can't yeah. just shut him down completely because he's so versatile. Now the biggest question is obviously his size, which I'm sure if you read my piece in the Athletic, which I talked to him about, it's followed him his entire life in every stage of his career. He's kind of proven that doesn't matter. And this is that last step where he can kind of show at five eight, five nine, a buck seventy that he can be productive in the nfl and if you look at his tape he is not one that like shies away from contact so he is fearless but as we saw kind of or didn't see he got banged up you know rookie minicamp and you're just wondering okay like can he make it through a full 17 game season relatively healthy now again it's i think it's rare for like Any player in the NFL, outside like quarterbacks and and linemen, to play like an entire season and never miss a game. But ideally, you want to make sure that you know out of 17 games, he's there for most, if not all of them. About most, I mean like 14, 15, and up.
0: Yeah. The other area that you mentioned earlier in the show, and we talked about it specifically with Jonathan Taylor, and how it impacts evaluation, not just in the whole offense, but on running back in particular is the production level and the efficiency for the offensive line. For me, Bernard Ryman, you saw leaps last year or strides last year at the back end of the season, but is he actually the starting left tackle of this Colts core around Anthony Richardson or is he the guy that takes the job because he's the best option on the roster right now? That's half of this question, and the other half is, where else are you most, I don't want to speak for you and say concerned, but where else is the most emphasis on this offensive line with all the work that Tony Sperano Jr. has cut out for him going into camp?
1: Left tackle and right guard. It's Bernard Ryman and Will Fries, and again, Bernard Ryman showed promise at the end of last season. He works hard, takes accountability, did not shy away from anything when it came to being thrown in the fire last season, and even this year coming into it, he's 15 pounds heavier, he's more prepared, everyone's saying he looks better, but again, this time of year, no one ever says anybody looks bad. So it is what it is. You took that with a grain of salt. But I think that he's deserving of a chance to start a left tackle, but my concern is where's the competition? Like this is the perfect time to have brought somebody in, or prioritize that for training camp because – and there will be competition, but I'm just saying true competition, like this guy could take my job type of stuff, not, oh, he's here to push him. No, 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 no. I don't think that Bernard Ryman is good enough right now, and he could be. Feel free to prove me wrong, but – Colts believe he, he can be. They believed last year that a sure, lot of sure. things could be, sure. you know – Sure, I'm not right. saying that's right or wrong. I'm just no, saying clearly just, with what
0: they did this offseason, no, and think I agree, that.
1: but – Part of it is like, all right, you tried this last year, yeah. and if it comes back to bite you this year, I think it's even worse because you've invested in a young quarterback. Yeah. And if that offensive line looks anything like it did last year and you can't protect him,
3: how Hello, can he habits. progress? Yeah. How can he
1: develop? <laughs> how can you feel right. like you have a good understanding of where he is in his trajectory? So left tackle is definitely the position where I'm like, okay, we'll see it. Bernard's the guy, and we won't even know that ideally. I'm not ideally realistically until the season begins like i don't really care what he does in camp yes i'll look at it and i'll analyze and i'll write about it but no one really hits anybody in camp so it's hard to gauge it
2: i doubt you see much of ryman and those guys in preseason because of the two joint practices exactly between philly
1: and chicago like so we'll have to wait till the season starts then the right guard with will fries you can make the case for center too by the way with ryan kelly no. True, but I, the reason I don't make the argument for them is like they've invested so much money in him and Quentin Nelson and Brandon, Braden Smith where it's like you're kind of forced, at least for one more season, to expect those guys to bounce back. Like You you would hope that they can at least get to a level where they're competent enough to be an average to a slightly above average offensive line. And then with Will Fries, again, it's the experience factor of him not being just a guy enough – Yet for me to really believe that he shouldn't be having any competition
0: at that position. Well, if you're Chris Ballard, you better hope that within the trenches up front that those guys you paid big money to have bounce back years this year. Because if not, you're starting to have similar look in the mirror moments. If you're the Colts organization moving forward, of is this who we want building around Anthony Richardson in terms of this next four or five year window? Of what the Colts can be. We got one final segment to close out the week that involves some bets and our final thoughts before Colts camp arrives, might even get some bets from Eddie as well. When we return on the fan midday show. So podcast audience won't hear this. Eddie, you're the only one that knows the name of the track. This is allegedly Cole Beasley and the Cole track. Cole Beasley that- music. Go to it on YouTube. There you go. It's the only song It came go. out two years ago. There you go. He gave Eddie his SoundCloud and now he's now he's 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 rolling. And his, I told you it was true. It was fun he's anyway. an artist.
1: On the field and in the booth. It wasn't bad, wasn't bad. We try to be artists, real quick though. Yeah, whenever people say it wasn't bad, it wasn't good either. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. It's not going on the you playlist. Know, yep. You, know what you I'm ever saying? ask somebody what you think of that movie or that or that story I wrote or that meal I made for you? Oh, I wasn't bad. It wasn't good. But
0: well, you're being nice about it. Exactly. That's that's, that's the kindness that, that you bring to the show.
1: Oh, yeah, look, I'm not trying <laughs> to be kind. That that song was. I thought it was actually a vibe. So you know, like. I, oh, so
0: you are adding to the playlist? Uh, oh, no, I'm not adding to the playlist. Okay, but all right.
1: For the Ten seconds, I heard it. I was like, "Okay." I, f- I it's feel like okay.
0: you just cleaned up. It was wasn't bad with it was a vibe, but I'm not putting it on the playlist. Exactly. I feel like that was just a nicer. Which is tier.
1: Just-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to be some artists with some bets, shall we? The Jay Cook plays of the day.
1: This is me. All right, I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win.
0: Today's plays of the day. We're going to take the Houston Astros laying one and a half on the run line against the Oakland Athletics. That was good to us yesterday. We'll hope it's kind to us again. We're also going to take the Cincinnati Reds to one of the money line today against the Arizona Diamondbacks in that same realm in baseball. Give me the Kansas City Royals to win over the New York Yankees today. <laughs> and also, I would like to go over like 25. Games. I would like about to be 26 tonight. Let me tell you, you go look, go Google. The last six starting pitchers that the Yankees have faced. Look at their ERAs before they played them. Look at where they were after. And you have Cy Young candidates left and right. Please, God, don't lose to the Royals. Over five and a half total goals tonight. It's a minus 175, but you're laying it on the U.S. women's national team against Vietnam. And that also would say that perhaps maybe Vietnam scores a late goal as well there. But this is being projected as high as six, maybe seven. I'm going to play it safer, go over five and a half. Two and one yesterday puts a seven, five and one on the week. Eddie, any bets from you today?
2: I'm trying to find... There it is. Hold on. I'm trying to find the Rays uh, Orioles first five on DraftKings. I'm not familiar. Sorry.
0: So nothing from you? Well. We'll come back? Yeah, come back. Okay. James, anything from you tonight? I'll just
1: be tuning in to Team <laughs> USA. They're starting their quest for what would be a record-breaking third straight World yep. Cup title. So yep. excited for that. And I'm not a huge soccer, football guy, but I do love the World Cup. And I hopefully one day we'll either cover it or attend it because it looks like just such a fun spectacle.
0: going to get your chance in, in three years. That's true. It'll be it'll be stateside. But I,
1: I kind of feel like I want to go like... somewhere else i'm like i've been in the states but at the same time i'm not trying to i agree with you on that it would be
0: nice to be able to see it abroad but if you're trying to be more financially you know less extreme stateside you don't have to travel you're good i'm trying
1: to get some you know that level where the athletic will Ah, will, will sponsor my trip Oh, oh,
0: press pass press pass i respect it okay all right so 2030 perhaps (laughs)
1: Uh, I'll go
2: under four and a half, first 5 uh, in the Orioles-Rays game. I also like uh, Rays
0: under 3.5 and, and then going over 9.5 in Giants-Nationals. James, I know we only have 30 seconds here, so I'll just say it's been great having you in here all summer, and we do hope to have you back at some point yeah, uh, so much fun. post-training camp.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
0: You can find his work at Romeoville RomeovilleKids. Subscribe to The Athletic. For all of his coverage throughout training camp, James Boyd does a fantastic job. So thanks to John Krasinski, Joe Rexroad, and Pat Leonard for taking us through the afternoon today, as well as a special thank you to Eddie Garrison for guiding us through the week. Glad to have him back as well. I'll be off next week. We'll have Brian No ready to get you set for all things Colts training camp. And it is finally a ride. We finally make it. The ride with JMV is next. Keep it right here.